Hello and welcome to episode 213 of The Great and Crowbite. It's the 2nd of November 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And John Roberts. Hello. Hello gang. Welcome to the inexplicably November. Hmm. Suddenly. Yeah. In a parallel universe where Splunky 2 exists. <laughs> yeah. That was completely unexpected and I'm bringing it up at the top of the podcast because it's huge huge news for anyone who listened to the first 60 episodes of this podcast a year and a bit yeah indeed um yeah uh so Derek e. more recently did a thing called i want to say it's called ufo 50 where it's like a compilation of um games that uh he and a bunch of other developers made that are all kind of retro games um and i kind of assumed that was occupying his time for the the foreseeable future and yeah it's an interesting thing because um Splunky wasn't sort of crying out for a sequel necessarily. I, mm. I would kind of think of the one that we've um all mostly played as being Spelunky 2, because Spelunky 1 was the freeware version on uh on PC. Um and then that uh the one that got released on consoles is a massive uh visual upgrade, a completely new art style, huge amounts of new stuff. Um and so it's hard to know exactly what kind of sequel this is. Is this mm. that again? Or they can't really upgrade the visual style because it already looked perfect. <laughs> um, uh, and so it's either, I think there are two possibilities. One is that it's going to be four new worlds for Spelunky and it'll be new items and stuff, mm. but it'd be basically uh, like a very big expansion sort of thing. Um because the sort of like the common refrain about Splunkies is nearly perfect. Like everyone thinks that, um, uh, no one has mechanical complaints. No one's like, Oh, I wish they'd change this about Splunky. I wish they'd do this. Um, so you may just be wanting to just build on that and just give people more of what they like. Um, or the other alternative is that like, since it doesn't, wasn't screaming out for a sequel, maybe the fact that he's making one is because he has had some like big idea about it. Like, Oh, it should be this way or, uh, Wishful thinking, it should have a grappling hook, <laughs> <laughs> um, or some you know structural idea, or he wants to do something like, um, uh, yeah, make it like uh, have some kind of overworld where you choose which dungeon to go into or whatever. Mm. So the uh, the actual teaser that they showed at the um, what was it PlayStation Paris PlayStation Experience week? at the Paris Games Week, something like that. I um, don't know. It was a series of. Uh, um, uh, Polaroids <laughs> and uh, cryptic quotes, which says something for Splunky status, really, that you can do uh, that much of a teaser trailer with, mm. like, nothing, no information whatsoever, um, and still get... Uh, I think it was, like, the One More Thing game, right? It was, it was, like, the, no, it was the beginning. Oh, it, was it was the beginning. very beginning of the show was Splunky, as far as I know. Right. Um, but, yeah, being able to do that at all is, is quite impressive because um, there was not much to go on. The only thing was, well, um, it shows the old Splunker... Um, uh, retiring and having kids and um it seems you play as his daughter um and i heard someone say that that's uh, uh i don't know if they were guessing or whether this is uh from derek but that it's inspired by his own daughter because he's had a daughter since he made right. the first blunky um and so seems you play as her and then there's a line about looking up to the skies i think that's literally what it is right mm. do you remember we're definitely going to the moon it's <laughs> it says look up to the skies and it's big old picture of the moon. It's 100% Splunky 2 is on the moon. 
And then it says Spelunky 2, it's on the moon. <laughs> oh shit, sure, like in, in the same voice as the old um, EA Sports <laughs> voice. Spelunky like, 2. Spelunky it's 2, moon. it's on the moon. Like all good um, indie games, it's got UFOs and aliens in it. So yep. <laughs> Hang on, wait. <laughs> that means Tom has now made three bad indie games. <laughs> uh, so it's not out of the realm's possibility that a UFO picks up our... Uh, adorable daughter and her pug and ships are off to the moon no um and the two does have a little moon on it mm. um, yeah <laughs> clues mount up <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah uh that doesn't uh, it's hard to picture isn't it <laughs> like i guess like a moon type tile set but then if it's going to be like four different worlds so uh, like are there things you guys would want from a future spelunky game I'm fine with the laziest option possible, which is just <laughs> new things, mm. like Spelunky 1, but with new creatures and tools and environments, and being able to like be familiar with the Spelunky movement and everything, but have a whole new bunch of stuff to learn again mm. is exciting enough in its own right without some awesome innovative feature. Grappling hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grappling hook to the moon. <laughs> Yeah, is that how else are you gonna get there? <laughs> um, I uh, like when I think about what you could improve about Splunky. I think one thing is um, uh, how it comes across to new players. Mm. Like I uh, had to have it recommended to me a million times before I really uh, played it, and still took a bit of getting into. And I'm always recommending it to people and then having them come back and say, oh, I tried it and I just got my ass kicked. I just couldn't get anywhere with it. Um, and it is just brutal. It has a tutorial, but it's not, uh, it doesn't bridge the gap from no experience to being able to do even the first level of the caves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish, uh, I don't think you will do this because I've uh, sort of had exchanges with him about <laughs> this kind of thing. And he's uh, the polar opposite opinion of me. <laughs> um, but uh, if it was me, I would want like, I'd just make four like uh levels that are basically i make the tutorial start the way the tutorial already starts so it just teaches you controls and stuff and then you play through four uh levels like a little mini episode that are just insanely easy just like there's one enemy on this level and there's maybe one spike pit somewhere um and the next one there's two enemies there um uh, or even do some kind of like actual change to the game rules where on this one you just can't die you just as soon as you die you just get reset to like mm. the last tile we were on um I did recently. Just so you can learn everything. I did recently show it or introduce it to a friend, and the tutorial level has four bats on, which means four points of health lost, <laughs> which means you go back to the start and just do it again, and that happens several times. <laughs> I think I would like a kind of deeper and kind of more part of the main experience daily challenge system. Yeah, because realistically, once you know Splunky, the thing you do. And arguably, I think probably its most fun feature is the shared daily challenge. Yeah, definitely. So having more of them, like themed daily challenges would be fun. So you can either have like a, a regular, like it's a seed for a level kind of thing. Or like, this is one where the seed is geared towards giving you loads of bombs or whatever the gadgets are, mm. you know, something like that. So you can do that kind of thing. That'd be fun. I think it'd be good to um, uh, sort of do, I think actually our community um, uh, on the Discord has a tradition of doing a Spelunky monthly, mm. like the first daily of every month, they all do it uh, because not everyone is playing every day. And uh, I think you could sort of encourage that and have like every week, 
the Monday challenge is special in some way, like it's got some hand-designed element to it. Or, yeah, um, that'd be a good way of doing it as well. Um, so, you know, if you're playing it daily, you still you play every day and you play that, but the, the people who can't play it every day or don't want to, uh, they all jump in for the same ones. So they mm. get to talk about it at least. I think um, something like, maybe have it be optional, but the... Ah, um... oh, man. Okay, two things I want. <laughs> One, the Dark Souls messaging system for daily <laughs> challenges. Because it wouldn't make sense in regular Spelunky because you can't leave a note in a specific place if yeah. the battles are only generated. But being able to kind of like leave a little note behind or even just see the death locations of your friends when you play it, that kind of thing, like yeah. some kind of persistent element. The second more ambitious notion is um, a kind of expanded Spelunky multiplayer mode where you can invade other players. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Dark Souls stuff. Basically yeah. just features from Dark Souls. <laughs> to be honest, if you just did uh, like online multiplayer would be a, a big deal. Um, yeah. True. Because they haven't done that before. Um, and yeah, if that could just be like seamless drop in, drop out, you just join your friend. Like you, when you start a game, you set whether it's public or not and um, uh, just set a flag that says, yeah, my friends can jump in if they want. And then they could just. Yeah, jumping pop in to co op as well would be great. Just yeah, like, that's what I mean. Yeah, just help each other. Um, yeah, help in, in scare quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Helping. <laughs> Like the time Tom Senior helped that knife onto my brain. <laughs> yep, I still remember that. Um, uh, actually, I don't know if this would uh, sort of be overkill, with, given that it w- I'm sure it will have a daily challenge as well. Um, but it would be nice, like, if the main way you played was just playing the game normally, it would be kind of cool if that run, that seed could get shared to your friends. Like, you mm. die, and then it just pops up. And when you start playing, it says, uh, Tom died on 3-2 on this, uh, on this seed. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. And then maybe you can't play it again, but your friends can. That'd be an interesting mm. way of making it playing. And your stuff is still waiting by your corpse. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you do this cool. kind of strange relay race thing where it's like, I died <laughs> really deep, but I had a jetpack and a shotgun. <laughs> you know, that'd be, yeah. Basically, I think more of the social stuff, because that's, that's probably the aspect of the first game that was the most kind of uh, bolted together by the community yeah. people who came up around the game rather than being core to the game itself. Because that wasn't even in the Xbox version when it launched. Um came along later didn't mm-hmm. it yeah it's very exciting in any case yeah excited to go to definitely the, to the moon <laughs> we can restart the explorers club yes indeed i think my hosting has expired for that but <laughs> <laughs> the other um sort of big news this week definitely bait- baiting the first 60 episodes of this podcast <laughs> is um dota 2 got a really big patch which i'm not going to go into exhaustive detail over because uh everyone would fall asleep <laughs> you two in the room people online on the internet online this is they tease this one at the international right yes yeah. i remember seeing these two heroes yeah so they this was the <clears throat> this is the patch that is released the two characters that they released they they revealed but didn't name at the international so they didn't yeah. really give any information about them pip tweeted about one of them and only from reading her tweet out of context did i suddenly realize um uh, she was talking about Dark Willow, and mm. I just immediately pictured uh, Willow from Buffy when she goes crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I think is actually like the fan accepted name for that. Um, <laughs> actually, that, in the that phase of, of Willow. And yeah, just because uh, it was uh, outside of other Dota context, I just read it as a Buffy tweet and like, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I don't, I don't agree with her alt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ripping it, someone's skin off. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but it's so it's interesting so it's, they've done that thing they do where they just decide to uh, reinvent the game twice a year <laughs> for some like for some reason just um you know completely overhaul things so there's a lot of big changes um and you'll find many 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 six hour patch note videos on the internet <laughs> if you'd like to go into exhaustive detail about them but the standout things and possibly the thing well so, i guess for people who already play the standout things are the two new characters who are both interesting um there's dark willow who's a fairy with a angry smaller fairy or a beetle <laughs> i'm not sure in a lantern um who sort of flies around and has like the first fear effect in dota which is interesting it makes enemies run towards their own fountain huh. and dota really benefits from any kind of mad kind of janky potential interaction like just something like that which forces enemies to run in a fixed direction mm. we'll always know exactly what direction they're going to move in so guys has forgotten about lone druid he does have a fear effect you're yeah. quite right <laughs> Yes, you're all right. But that makes him run away from the point of casting. He runs towards Fountain still. Does it? Yeah. Huh. Huh. You're quite right. I wow. completely forgot about Lone Druid. <laughs> Just to bring down the... No, level yeah. Of the... I had forgotten about Dre- Druid. Anyway, <laughs> that's not going to work. That joke's not going to fly. Um, no, you're completely right. Lone Druid's bear specifically, I think. Or is it Lone Druid core? Uh, they share a cooldown. Either of them can roar, I think. <laughs> oh, when Lone Druid is transformed into bear yeah, form. Yeah, in bear form. Yeah. Well, you tell her don't play very much Lone Druid. Because for the first time, there's a fear effect. No, there's a Lone Druid style AOE version of that. And that's mm. one of her alts. And then the other alt makes the angry fairy be angry. Um, but yeah, the game benefits enormously from that kind of thing, uh, where there's lots of sort of janky potential for mad combos and stuff. The Pangalea? Pangalea is the other is character. The other one. Who's and a looks- swashbuckling pangolin. Because of course he is. Really fun. He has a bunch of really unique things that they haven't attempted in dota at all before like his fear effect <laughs> <laughs> like his q is like a compound click and drag yeah i was gonna mention that and a really really fast dodge which looks very exciting um what is the click and drag mean? so you click where you it's so basically it's a dash and then after the dash he does like a flurry of blows with his sword but you click where you want him to dash to and then you drag the direction you want the flurry to go in right that kind of like pick a location then pick a radius yeah. from that location doesn't exist in dota currently and probably because it couldn't okay. exist in the warcraft 3 engine yep <laughs> i um there are a bunch of gadgets in heating show i wanted to do that would require that and i kept like i knew it was possible to do that but i thought oh it's gonna be a pain in the ass to specify <laughs> two different targets for a thing mm. um so yeah that's and also his um ball form yeah is it feels very undota in a good way like it feels new because there is another hero that can roll up into a ball i'm not forgetting what ball form <laughs> <laughs> um there is another hero that can roll into a ball but it works in a much more kind of traditional kind of point to point dota way mm. whereas pangalea rolls up into a ball and then you kind of steer him around but he has quite a big turning circle and he can ricochet between cliffs <laughs> if he yeah. gets something he bounces off in the opposite direction and he can also use another power which works independently but it like bounces your ball up and you can go up cliffs yeah you can bounce around the world basically it feels much more it feels almost physics-y yeah which is something dota doesn't traditionally feel which again both of these things feel like this is what they can do with you know not being confined by the the previous version of the game um but i think for any potential new player they don't in and of themselves like mean a tremendous amount because it's just there's like 115 of them now so you know um the stuff that might help people get back into the game or get into the game they've not played it before are is specifically turbo mode mm. so um there's a few so some of the most dota things in the world have happened 
Um, so turbo mode is actually, um, or you could probably call it Heroes of the Storm mode, um, <laughs> would be, is essentially Dota, but you can buy items from anywhere. So there's no going to shops. Everyone gets gold and experience at a much faster rate. And I think there's a few other systems in place that make the game faster. Mm. So it's 20 minute Dota basically with all of the kind of power levels dialed up. So you just fight, fight. And it's probably going to lose a lot of the elegance of the game, but, um, that's a cool thing to have done. Just, I wonder if they were slightly worried about putting that in because it feels like the kind of thing that could take a very large chunk of the core Dota audience away. I wonder about that because I know that Smite had a similar problem because they added their arena mode, which is just a five on five team fight that lasts 15 minutes and then ends. And it just took all the air out of the room for every other mode <laughs> in the game because it's what people, most people want to do. There's a danger of that. Those already had that danger through the custom games interface though. Like yeah. these kinds of like fast Dota or like extreme Dota modes did exist already and they didn't do it then. I think, I think the core audience of people who want to play a traditional Dota is big enough that it won't be too badly affected. Because yeah. you were talking about, until Plunkbag's extraordinary rise, you were talking about the biggest game in the world on PC, or the biggest game on Steam at least. Uh, I suspect that there actually would be like, if that if that draws so many players that the other that the main mode doesn't have enough anymore, that would be a massive success. It would be like, holy <laughs> shit, we gave people exactly what they wanted. Mm. Yeah, um, the loom has spoken. <laughs> Yeah, they, you know, you, you know, we've, we can't trick people into playing the mode they don't want to play anymore. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a few things like that, which is a nice way into it, I think, potentially for people that it's still obviously a complicated game. There's been a lot of changes made to, I won't, obviously I won't go into detail about specific changes. Um, but the, the best one is that Dota now has its own version of like a random rotation. So if you play League of Legends or any other kind of traditional MOBA where you have to buy characters, there's like 10 characters at any given time that are available for free. That's obviously not possible in a game where all the characters are free all the time. But clearly Valve see some benefit in focusing the players on a different set of characters every day or every week. Because presumably, presumably there might be some sort of player experience benefits to that. Like if players feel encouraged to move around, they get the impression that the game is stale less. They get encouraged mm. to play things. I don't know if that's something they've gleaned from other games that have this as a business model. But in any case, they've encouraged this in Dota by giving a random set of 10 heroes. We're highlighting 10 heroes every day. And if you play as one of those heroes, you get a free mango. <laughs> what is a mango? It's a fruit. <laughs> okay. So I read this patch note and I understood that you get a free mango. I didn't know what the gameplay implications of that were. Um, so a mango is a Does consumable. Heal you? Uh, no, it's a consumable that gives you a small amount of health regen over time, mm. but can be consumed for a big burst of mana. Ah. So you kind of want to be holding a mango because it makes you feel better. But sometimes <laughs> you need to cast an extra spell to so eat the mango. Mango, the mana fruit. Exactly. <laughs> um, because Ice Frog loves mangoes. That's a fact. It's one of the only things that's known about him. So, uh, <laughs> um, so um, this adds to the... Um, fascinating canon of which games consider which foods to be good for your manner and bad for your manner. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, um, it's not quite smoking, smoking or a mango, <laughs> basically. Um, are the, are your two options for restoring minor free cigarettes. If you pick one of these characters, would be, the, um... <laughs> <That'd> be amazing. <laughs> I think importantly, you can now turn your mango into a ring as well. You can. It's now a component of the soul ring. Oh yes. Yeah. The soul ring now contains a mango. <laughs> I love Dota. <laughs> Uh, is it truly randomly 10 heroes? Maybe it's a curated set. It looks like I think I, uh, I think I read the patch notes and I, I th also thought it said randomly selected and I 
was thinking, can it truly be random? Like, if you picked, I don't know, three TF2 classes every day to highlight, it would be a fucking disaster if it's truly random, because <laughs> you might just pick the three that happen to be, you know, completely negate the other six. So I think one thing is that the advantage of having a mango is not so great that it renders the rest of the characters in the game yeah. unpickable. A free mango is nice, but it's not. <laughs> the other thing is that they've changed the way randoming works. So you used to be able to random, which means you get your character randomly, obviously, and you get extra gold. And that was a bad thing for the game, honestly. In my opinion, like I wrote an article once upon a time about why it's just a bad idea. Because a lot of people don't want to make a decision and they kind of like the idea of more gold, but then they get a character they can't play mm. and everyone else's experience is kind of hinged yeah. off trying to play around that. Now, uh, if you random, you get not only a mango, but a stick. <laughs> <laughs> but it will pick from the set of 10 for that day. So you know right. what your options are when you random. It won't pick out of the entire pool. People will still do it, but I think it's less of a gamble because you can look at the pool and go, oh shit, Meepo's in there. I'm not <laughs> randoming. Um, or do it anyway. And because fuck the experience of everyone else. This is Dota. <laughs> Live your best life. You get a free mango for causing an actively <laughs> detrimental experience. Um, but um, yes, that's, there must be some, methodology there like some reason why they want to encourage people to pick different heroes every day or something like that maybe they find that if people do that they play for longer or enjoy it more or something but i just love that they decide to incentivize it with a free fruit <laughs> um so yeah it's exciting. it will get me back into the game i've been playing like a little bit more now because I, I had taken quite a long break and it's i'm back in i think as a consequence because i it's just also every new patch is an opportunity to start learning the game with everybody else again and what's good will have changed and you truly never forget fully how to do Dota. How to ride a bear? How to I ride a bear. I, I do, it is easy to forget <laughs> what a bear does, though, as, as I've demonstrated. Are you going to go back to it, John? No. Have you? No. I need to stay the hell away from it. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> Take that back. <laughs> it's compelling in the way that game designers want to make games, but don't realise how destructive they are. Mm. at least for me mm. yeah I can sympathize with that I think having had a break I feel okay playing a game a day again even though sometimes it makes you feel bad for no reason <laughs> and you just become cross and sad <laughs> getting less patience for that funnily enough any other news this week that we should um, I suppose the Tom yes what are you going to say? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> well, there was like two other things that we talked about right before the podcast. And um, one of them, both. one of them is that they've revealed the first expansion for Destiny 2, oh, yeah. which I presume will be coming out roughly the same time on PC. Um, appreciate that neither of you are big Destiny people, so I won't bang on about it, but, um, it's called Curse of Osiris. Osiris was a kind of law figure from the first game, um, who will now appear in the game for the first time. What to expect from something like this? PC players specifically who maybe weren't around for the mm. Destiny one. People always talk about the huge raids. Is yeah. that basically what? An normally, normally the expansion is a new shorter campaign, but what, exactly what that means, given that Destiny 2's campaign is so much longer than the previous one, don't know. In Destiny 2 case, it means a new patrol area, so a new open world area to roam around basically, which is essentially an extra fifth of the game, depending on how big it is. Mm. Um, and it almost certainly means a new raid. People are kind of flipping out about the, and the raid only just launched on PC today, the existing one. So there's plenty of people to do. People are flipping out about the fact that the description said, didn't say a new raid. It said new raid content. So they're worried mm. that it means an update to the existing raid, <laughs> but that seems unlikely to me. 
simply because um that would be dumb of them to do and there is precedent every single other destiny expansion came with a either a raid or something equivalent to a raid mm. so if they break out of that pattern for no reason i don't see why they would but you know i've always kind of enjoyed those moments when the game i feel is. like new raid content is the um war is unforeseeable <laughs> game patch notes could go either way mm. interpretable by whatever you want it to be yes yes so there's a rumor that it will mean uh, a return to a destiny one raid which is actually would probably piss off a lot of people on console i imagine they would redo things about it, it wouldn't be exactly the same raid again because it's a different game but mm. um it could well be a return to a location from destiny one specifically but actually it'd be kind of great if that was the case for the pc community because that place would be the vault of glass which was like one of my favorite environments from the first game so if they do revisit that stuff then that'd be great if you like your 70s album cover sci-fi art and want to fight time traveling robot aliens in a space prism made of shiny metal glass (laughs) then you should go there the vault of glass it's good um, yeah, no, that's, that's about it for that news. The other, what was the other good thing we saw? Oh, yeah. Um, the Call of Duty oh, yeah. World War Two <laughs> is almost out. And the only thing that's caught my eye about that so far is the amazing, amazing, like, thank God for video games, uh, loot box. <laughs> I just see like, Right in the middle of, of controversy over loot boxes and sort of, I would say public opinion of loot boxes is at an all time low in yeah. terms of, um, uh, antipathy towards the idea and <laughs> they're in world war ii anyway so it's going to be an awkward fit thematically it's going to be tricky to to do this thing yeah and they just really ran at that brick wall as hard <laughs> they, as they could they just went all so fucking out. the game has a like a, an actual explorable social area now uh and this so this actually gets more amazing the more, I, the more i think about it um and by amazing i mean awful so it's got an explorable social area where presumably you can walk around and jump about and do emotes to other players Kind of like a mini Destiny hub kind of thing by the sounds of things. Except, as far as I know, that social area is Normandy Beach. <laughs> so, you Famous are- hangout. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, it's like the PlayStation home kind of like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, hi, meet me on the deck in, in Normandy Beach. Um, and then, when you are there, you can at any point buy cosmetics through loot boxes, obviously, because you're a consumer and you've been empowered to do that. And then you pick an area on the ground where you would like to receive your purchase. And then it is para dropped from like a B-15 or something like that, a B-14, one of the B planes. <laughs> um, and it parachutes down in front of you and then explodes into playing cards that flip around <laughs> to reveal what camo hat you've unlocked. <laughs> like they're just sort of floating in the world. And apparently other players can actually see them. Yeah. Um, and so they're, um, uh, is it diegetic, John? You must know this. It's diegetic, yes. Yeah, I know right. it's a word. That means you two have to know it. <laughs> um, it's it's within the it's within the um, context of the yeah. Thing. yeah it looks, looks like it's a thing it. rather yeah, it's than not a piece of, of it. It's yeah, um, yeah. But other than that, they look like you know cards that you get um, content on these days in video games, and uh, that's really weird. Hanging <laughs> in a war torn yeah, <laughs> a war beach. that still occurred within living memory. Yeah. <laughs> And like, uh, maybe, maybe we are so desensitized to this now because, you know, modern warfare was a thing for years, but even like modern warfare didn't, I don't know if it was quite that grim with its unlock kind of prestige system, right? 
I don't know. I, I mean, it's not, it's not like capital O offensive. It's just insensitive in, in the kind of, like, in the kind of cheap way you'd expect this to be, right? Yeah. I feel like in another year, this, this could have been like a really big controversy. Uh, yeah. But this year, it's just like everything else is so fucked that we're just kind of <laughs> laughing at it. Like, oh, look what Call of Duty's doing. Of course they're doing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it ties in. So like Activision have got loads of patents about stuff like this. Like they've got a patent for like lots of kind of dodgy things to do with matchmaking and um, premium content. It doesn't say they're doing that, but they've patented a lot of like user behavior manipulation things to do with loot chests and <laughs> that kind of thing. Real kind of just sort of things you'd expect to exist, honestly. Um, but it does the, yeah, the, the sort of how tacky it is, is the thing that makes me laugh. Cause it's, it's, you know, it's a hugely expensive product, both in terms of its budget and how much money it costs to buy and how much money it depends from its players and how much money it will make. For, and so it's, but it's just so naff that it's kind of brilliant. Like it's like <laughs> they, they, they're half playing this like, yeah, World War Two with your mates angle and they're half playing this World War Two. <laughs> Hmm, it was terrible, wasn't it, Angle? And then the middle between those two things is like... the Here's what you want. <laughs> exactly. I haven't played a COD recently. Do they still have the um, the quotes? Oh, when you die. And screens and stuff. Um, the kind of veneer of... I think they had those last time I played. I can't remember what the last one I played was. Then. Last one I played was Black Ops oh, 3. In- Infinite Warfare, there's the Go Inside Spaceships one. <laughs> I played that. I don't think that did have quotes, actually. Mm. I don't remember that. Maybe I never died. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> they have new quotes, like, always position your crate dropped so the maximum number of people can see you receiving. Yeah. Winston little... Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, all it takes to triumph of evil is for good men to hide their sick new hats. <laughs> <laughs> and so on. But yeah, it's just a terrible thing. It's not really news so much. It's like, hey, look how shite that is. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where... It's just the culmination of 10 different steps. It's like, oh, if we do this, then other people can see us. And if we do this, then other, like, yeah, it'll mean like we get 5% more loot drops and stuff like that. And like 10 steps later, you look up and it's like, oh no, we're dropping <laughs> loot crates on Normandy Beach. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember um, uh, decades ago, I was out at EA to see... Um, a bunch of games and one of them was i think it was a console exclusive call of duty i think it might have been big red one mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds like a name i made up the big red one <laughs> yeah i think there is a call of duty came on a single massive disc <laughs> <laughs> and in that um you uh it sounds kind of tame these days but at the time this was kind of uh grotesque and mind-blowing to me uh you got extra points for headshots and um it was all like style bonuses for how coolly you murdered people in the trenches it was world war ii um and somebody uh in the industry who won't name because i can't entirely remember if they said this off the record or on the record (laughs) said that um they refer to that style as world war woo (laughs) after john woo (laughs) oh good Good, good. Maybe we just—I don't know. I don't know if we become more sensitive to this kind of thing, or is it, it's just we've gained taste. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like bonus points for headshots now is just in everything, and that yeah. is no longer. Um, it's funny to think that that was shocking to me at that time. Like, how could they do that in World War Two? Well, 
that that's just how video games work now. Yeah. <laughs> you get more points for a headshot. I suppose we ended up having this conversation when Battlefield 1 was announced and when it came out because that yeah. one felt weird because it's a war we only ever seen presented in kind of somber tones. World War 2 has been presented in lots of different ways. I think what's kind of not, you know, when I say lowercase o offensive about the loot box thing is simply that it's so mercantile. Like it would be, <clears throat> it would be tacky for a sci-fi spaceship shooty spaceship man game to have your loot crate air dropped into the ground in front of you and explode in front of everybody else. It's just Normandy beach makes that kind of black mirrory in a way that mm. is noteworthy. So good for them, I suppose. The game's out this week, I think, is it? Yeah, I, I think so. Mm. I think it's also because it falls on like very close to like the 11th of November in the UK. So Remembrance Day. So it's a kind of time of year where maybe you're primed to look with a kind of more reflective eye at the Great War and the Second World War. Maybe they can add a custom particle effect which sprays poppies out. <laughs> 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 oh, spell out never forget. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, poppy decal spray. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Anyway, um, speaking of very sensitive treatments of history, Tom, <laughs> you have played a bit of Wolfenstein? Yep, played all of Wolfenstein, start to finish since last week. Mm. Um, uh, and yes, I had, uh, I also did not get on with the story side of it. Um, uh, but I did, I think, get on better with the game side of it. Um, the story side of it didn't work for me just because it is, well, I was, the intro contains a lot of, um, uh, extremely heavy subject matter, but I was sort of stifling laughter throughout it because of the writing. Like the, I guess they have a very short space of time in which to establish some characters and, and mm. make, and demonize them as much as possible. But it gets to the point that someone is showing up on screen and then just lists their five biggest character flaws. <laughs> They're just like, I hate Jews and I, beat my wife and I do this and it, yeah. and then and then shoot the dog. <laughs> it's like it's so hasty that it it just n never felt like anything other than a it's writer so, conveying yeah. five points about a character. The best defense I saw of it and I don't agree with this but it's a, it's a good try is that games need to go that far now or else you won't know that you're supposed to feel something above and beyond what you'd normally feel. <laughs> but that <clears throat> that's uh I think I have my, sorry my voice is going completely have a thought, Tom. I'll be back in a moment. Okay. <laughs> uh, and in general, uh, a lot of the... Uh, it's got loads of cutscenes and uh, a lot of character stuff. Most of it I just found sort of passable. I was just like, I, I wasn't actively annoyed by the characters. Um, and that's uh, unusual. <laughs> Most games do actively annoy me. Um, but the, the sort of the moments everyone talks about, the ones that are, are sort of uh, unique to Wolfenstein, where it goes uh, to territory that uh, other games uh, usually don't uh, none of those work for me all of them were bad <laughs> for me uh, because they are all trying to uh, make you hate someone they're always trying to shove how horrible someone is in your face and make them like extra horrible to you in a really like personal and, and grotesque and uh, um, morbid or sometimes sexual way and they're trying to make you feel disgust and hatred so that then when you get to kill this person and maim them and rip them apart, you feel good about it. And just in general with Nazis as well, they're, they're sort of trying to, um, it's a game about doing grotesque violence to people. And so they want to, uh, make you feel okay about that. And in fact, make you want to do it and make you enjoy it. And, uh, that is never really going to be a 
good experience for me because you know i don't want to be convinced to to enjoy maiming somebody like video game violence works uh, i'm okay with it in general because i just don't see any of these things as human <laughs> like yeah. i know their AIs, i know their code i know that killing them is not permanently killing them um and uh, i'm just very far removed from the uh from that experience of it and uh this felt like it was trying to drag me in and make me realize that like uh, make me feel human emotions but feel the human emotions that would make me okay with ripping someone in like at one point sort of splitting somebody's face open and yeah like uh really close up um and that's a kind of like climactic victory for the player um and i'm pretty sure i'm supposed to enjoy that and i don't and I want to enjoy that. And also, just on a more, much more basic mechanical level, when you are so desperately and openly trying to manipulate me like that, it both doesn't work and also makes the writing feel incredibly flimsy and um, just makes me resent the game. Like, any time you try and make me feel something that transparently and that manipulatively uh, completely backfires for me. Mm. Yeah, I think I mostly did some of my problems with storytelling in the previous pod, but they only got more pronounced, I think, when I got past the point that I was in. And I think there's an issue where I think a lot of it's, it's hard to, like, I, I, I got a bit sad about it because I, I feels like such an outlier about it critically, or as I did by the time I was working on my review of it, where, where it's been getting some real glowing praise and more power to it, I guess, if it's meant something to people. For me, I think a lot of its successes only really make sense in the context of other games a lot of the time. Like, it is raising subjects that other games don't, but it doesn't do a lot with those subjects. So, you know what I mean? Like, where's the kind of meaningful success there beyond we're happy that something's trying harder than most games? Like, I don't know. That's a tricky subject to kind of try yeah. and unpick. Like, is the attempt itself laudable? But um, but I think actually the thing that came down to me in the end, and the reason I ended up walking away from it really having thoroughly not enjoyed it, is and I, is I think I the first game had such a great sense of escalation in that it kept getting sillier. And I think, uh, even though it also had its own tonal issues, by all means, I, I think it had fewer tonal issues than this one does, but um, it had its issues. But it, one of the reasons that you didn't have time to stop and dwell on that is because the game was just constantly getting dumber in the biggest and most spectacular way, which is something I've always got a huge soft spot for. Um, <clears throat> I feel the same way about Bayonetta and, and other games like that, where you don't know where it's going to go next. And Wolfenstein, The New Order, has a bunch of memorable environments that tease things i'm gonna like a minor spoiler for the new order but it's been years like you go to a, a moon museum like kind of first half of the campaign that kind of explains how the nazis got to the moon and what they did there and um it's got uh, the best line in that game which is when you just look at a display and bj under his breath as he does throughout the game just goes like nazis on the goddamn moon <laughs> fuck the moon <laughs> and it's like there's that kind of it's really silly but it's sort of like you're in like i kind of like this character and i like this <laughs> stupid world he inhabits and the swings between serious and silly all the time and there's really nothing with that amount of humor to it in the new colossus that i found like there is some humor but it's not got that moment of like kind of sort of silliness i think it's lost mm -hmm. some of its the other thing is that um you know then later in the new order and so this this was the spoiler you go to the moon and it's a complete surprise when it happens well, you can kind of you get it it's one of those great game game things where you realize what you're about to do like as you're getting towards doing it and then it's like i'm on the fucking moon <laughs> and it's great um it's just like spelunky 2 exactly much like spelunky 2 maybe the enemies in spelunky 2 will be nazis <laughs> you'll get loot crates <laughs> shopkeepers on the goddamn <laughs> 
Fuck you, moon. Yetis on the goddamn moon. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things was wheeling around to say very slowly is the new Colossus feels like it can't, it wants to repeat some of those tricks, but its attempts really don't work because it can't, it has nowhere else to escalate to. So it sort of tries, but kind of even undersells its attempt to try. And it just didn't have that kind of constant sense of surprise for me. And it also, the scale of a lot of it is a lot smaller. Like it, you know, it doesn't have the huge climactic kind of encounters or battles that the first game does. It's, it's a lot smaller overall, mm. even though it's a longer game. And, um, I made a mistake at one point where I realized that one particular fight was really hard. But one thing the game does allow you to do, and I think this is correct to allow the player to do this, is if if you can just run away from a fight straight for your objective and get around it. Off, because often your objective is like get to the thing or, or escape the thing. Sometimes it makes sense to just go like, I'm not fighting this. I'm going to run. I'm going to you know shoot a few people and then just sprint for the door. And I did that and I pressed the button I needed to press. And then the game ended hmm. because I had accidentally ran away from the last boss <laughs> and just ended the game completely. All right. Um, which really surprised me because the first game had a really strong, well, a difficult and sometimes frustrating conclusion, but it had like a set piece ending where it's like, mm. you know, this is the fucking end of the game. And, um, I know you- about four rounds into that boss, I would have loved a button to just, <laughs> yeah. And I know that boss battles aren't everyone's favorite thing and experimenting is fine, but I was genuinely surprised that it, I, I just did the thing and then, oh, mm. oh, oh. Yeah, I was surprised when it ended too, although I did do the boss battle. Um, uh, and I've read some Steam reviews of it. It has a mixed rating on Steam. And the complaints are, um, about half of them are to do with technical issues, because it has quite a lot of them. Um, and the other half are to do with, uh, a mix of things, but the ending comes up a lot. Like a lot of people were just like, that. a lot of people are kind of saying, oh, it feels like it needed an extra chapter or if it feels like it needed more, which I don't agree with. But I think the reason they're saying that is because the ending was so out, like oh, it's just over. Um, you don't have enough build up to it. Yeah. I as a game, I got on with it um, pretty well. Uh, once I got uh, the first weapon upgrade kit, because you can choose what weapon to upgrade and how, and so I put a silencer on my pistol, and then I just systematically shot like two and a half thousand people in the head <laughs> with the silenced pistol, which is uh, what I like to do in life. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, as a stealth game, it's uh, for me, it felt pretty similar to New Order and I was kind of getting the same uh, kind of fun I, that I got out of that game, which was just very slow and methodical, creeping around, looking for um, when there's a commander in, in range, you see an icon on your screen telling you that there is one um, and telling you roughly where they are. And you've got to take them out before you alert anyone else so that they don't sound the alarm. You don't have to do that. You can just mow everyone down as well. Uh, but I obviously took that as a as a challenge to do that. And then... After a while, like maybe halfway through, I realized like as well as when there's commanders around, I could just be stealthing this whole thing, like just uh, not slipping by everybody, but just uh, creeping around and taking them out one by one without alerting anyone. Uh, it's a, it's not a very sophisticated stealth game, but it does uh, what I want from unsophisticated stealth games, which is don't get all picky with me <laughs> if your mechanics don't support what I want to do. So the, the classic crime in light stealth is... Uh, enemies sound the alarm when they see a body, but you can't move bodies. That's a classic fuck up where you, like, the level of sophistication of the AI is out of sync with the level of sophistication of my interactions. And so I can't do an obvious thing that I really want to do. And you made it important that I can't do it. And Wolfenstein, enemies can see bodies and they 
sort of search around if they see a body, but they don't sound the alarm. It's considered like yeah, they're surprisingly critical. Unbothered about <laughs> yeah, it. you can be in the most secure Nazi facility anywhere where the no no invasion is ever expected under any circumstances, and if someone just dies, like, <laughs> yep. that's fine. Um, but that me- that's uh, a good thing mechanically because you know you just don't have to worry about th- that, and you can just be very um, uh, very methodical about it. And uh, it is it was very much the same game throughout. I mean, every now and then there is a forced fight where you, you just have to you know, the enemies are alerted as soon as it starts. There's even surprisingly there's one bit where I'm pretty sure there's no way to take out the commander before he sounds the alarm because he is miles from you and he sounds the alarm in response to rebels, not you. So there doesn't seem to be yeah, any you could possibly do to stop that. There's a few sections where the commander system is used, but the alarm goes off regardless. Yeah. Which can be confusing, I think, because the game doesn't always tell you who's seen you or something like that. So sometimes you can feel like, oh, did I do something wrong? But then you just realize, no, it's it's a forced fail. Which I can kind of see why, for consistency's sake, they use the same UI to establish that there is a commander and he has seen something. Yeah. But that... It's a, it, there's a sort of, there's, there are two arguments there. Cause the other argument is that UI is used to tell the player what they're doing. Yeah. Not just to indicate how alert the alert is. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, the, the forced, uh, stuff was relatively infrequent and not too annoying for me. Um, and the rest of it was, pretty much the same game throughout like i was just saying the same thing in every single area again and again and again and because stealth is a thing i find endlessly satisfying if it's not actively irritating me then um i will do that happily forever and so i got on pretty well with that to what extent was it um for you extremely trial and error stealth it's pretty trial and error because it doesn't have a see-through walls mode which is yeah. a lot of like most stealth games have some kind of special intel they give you, you can, for the commanders you can see what direction they're in but uh, obviously what really matters is just being spotted by anyone um funnily enough while i was playing i was thinking like oh, like um i understand why you don't want to see through walls mode and every game that does have a see through walls mode kind of hedges their bets a bit and tries to discourage you from using it too much and all that stuff um and i was thinking what you really need like i was thinking about invisible ink where you can see enemy vision even if you can't see the enemy and i was thinking it'd be great if like enemies in a first person stealth game just projected from their eyes like uh it wouldn't have to be like an actual vision cone it could just be like a laser that roams around or something mm. so you can just kind of see anytime an enemy vision cone is coming near you would have a sense of it um and after thinking that for like eight hours i realized um quite a lot of the guards in Wolfenstein actually do have this <laughs> they have like a torch that they shine where they're looking and it's just not pronounced enough and not enough of them have it so you can't rely on it mm. but uh i'm willing to bet someone there actually thought of this idea and was like oh we should have torches on the guards so you can always see where they're looking and then they sort of got halfway to doing it and didn't quite end up being a core mechanic. Definitely. But yeah, uh, uh, so I was playing on PC and there is uh, quick save and quick load on F5 and F9, which doesn't appear to be documented anywhere. I don't think it, I looked in the controls and it's not listed there. And I don't there think is a, like, there's a main, there's like a, you've just died uh, tool tip that pops up to say like, remember oh, right. to save and load. Like, Yeah, the, the actual like keys for it, um, I never saw tutorialized. But anyway, if you do it with the hotkeys, um, it is really painless to just save and load. And I, I'm not uh, against that at all for stealth games. Um, like uh, I was talking about Shadow Tactics recently, which is a game where like if you haven't saved in the last 30 seconds, there's an alert on screen that's like, <laughs> you should be saving now. Um, they just expect you to save scum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I mean, basically what you want in a stealth game is rewind and save scumming is as close to that as you can get <laughs> in a, uh, without explicitly supporting that feature. And so, yeah, I was just, I was hammering those keys a lot 
Um, and I didn't find myself getting frustrated with it. I think just because I was never losing a lot of progress and it was always just... Yeah. Is there um, content dedicated to stealth players? Yeah, there's... Um, um, uh, I won't say too much about it, but you get a kind of choice of how to upgrade yourself at one point and one of those options um, uh, has some like passive stealth perks with it. It's sort of a stealthy thing in the first place and then also... Um, it adds the Metal Gear Solid 5 thing of when someone spots you, it goes into slow-mo and you have a moment to do, mm. do something about it, uh, which is cool. Mm. That exists if you're low on health normally, but right. usually you don't survive long enough to take advantage of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, uh, that happens when someone's starting to see you and it doesn't actually, it doesn't only trigger if they're definitely going to see you. It'll trigger just if you're in their line of sight at all, if, if their alert level is going up. And so it becomes, and I've totally done this in, in Heat Signature as well, um, a way of detecting enemies like as you're moving around you feel the slow-mo happen you're like someone's seeing me somewhere so i'm just gonna <laughs> move somewhere else and then uh, figure out where they are later hmm. what have you been up to john uh i have been playing divinity 2 constantly since it's released <laughs> how much have you played uh, i finished the game oh wow and then went back and started again holy shit just because the first area is the best and i wanted huh. to go back and try out uh, some of the options that I didn't take and all the powers and stuff which I missed. Actually, I've got notes so <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> Great um, crowbar slogan. <laughs> the best tavern music. It does have good tavern music. <laughs> it does. It avoids that I think well-intentioned error of fantasy sound designers where they say let's get a guy who knows how to play the lute in the <laughs> studio and make it really authentic. And loot sound awful. <laughs> <laughs> is um, this game has an unusual feature in that you can choose the the dominant instrument in your personal theme tune when mm. you create your character, right? Mm. You get is- a little uh, riff when you like finish off an enemy or to get a critical, I think, <laughs> and you can get an oud. Got to get that oud. I think I picked a cello for mine. Is, yeah. I think I went for cello as That's well. The classy version. <laughs> I'm playing as Fane, so there's an element of mm. kind of want a classy cello for a classy undead <laughs> gent. And I was a red prince, so also classy. also classy. Yeah. Um, is loot one of the options though? Yeah, I think it's like the medium, the the middle option, <laughs> the medium which is neither oud nor <laughs> cello or whatever. <laughs> Pickle up. No, is it, is it a pickle pickle up? There's definitely a woodwind in there yeah, that's very funny. Sure. <laughs> anyway. It's such a great option. It's one of many several great options. Yeah. I think in total I'm just incredibly impressed with how large it is and everything's obviously been hand sculpted or mm. written and placed and stuff like that. Um, like every landmass that you go to is, well, they're not a stage greater than each time, but everything is like a huge exploration um, challenge and it's incredibly exciting knowing that everything you're going to go to has been um, thought about. It's not like, I think one of the things that um, made me sad the most in Mass Effect Andromeda and latest Dragon Age and stuff like that was you would go to, they would, or the map would direct you towards points of interest, which they call them, which would be a mesh that you've seen a thousand times before and a box with some trader junk in. It's like this this is not, you should not be drawing my attention to how little effort you've put in <laughs> right there. But, um, yeah. And then Divinity 2, obviously every aspect is being tweaked and placed and they have some 
tried to combine like all these bits of story with every area so you know there's been some sort of interesting event happened here it probably ties into a quest mm. um like the loot that you find here might have uh, might be tied to the location or the characters involved and stuff like this that this is loot as in treasure not the instrument <laughs> not, not the hated loot um and it feels like it's really really pushing up against the limits of what a team can do yeah with hand placed like fully designed stuff um, which needs to be celebrated, especially since it was a Kickstarter, and, um, and especially considering the amount of freedom it gives you as well. Exactly, like it's not—it's not like there's lots of lovely hand-designed stuff there for you to look at. It's yeah. like you have so many options at any given time about how you, what you choose to do. I find it very freeing. Yeah, um, sometime ally of the podcast, Alex Wilshire, <laughs> wrote a great article on how they designed it with these multiple multiplayer sensibilities in mind which means that they have to sanitize all the available options and make sure that they actually work together which is why a lot of the time if you um, kill a plot critical person you'll often find uh, like a note on their corpse or you can just summon their ghost and talk to them or someone else will know something nearby <laughs> um, so you have a lot of freedom in how you execute stuff literally literally <laughs> Because you can also, even if you're not playing multiplayer, you can split your party up and have them in totally different parts of the world. Right, as well. yeah. It's an incredibly impressive tech on any other level. You can, yeah, you can be ranging like kilometers across an island and just switch back and forth between your different party members, some of which are indoors. Uh, it fixes that great um, Bethesda issue of if you want to go indoors and explore, that means probably a loading screen and then you're kind of disinclined to yeah. adventure, which is... The dumbest thing. Also, the <clears throat> old school black eye, like you must gather your party before venturing mm. forth. Message is dead. Mm. Yeah, rest in peace. My um, one of my most uh, epic ordeals in uh, the game so far was when uh, Thane accidentally clicked on a teleporter statue mm. that returns you to your home. Oh no, sorry, he accidentally clicked the flea button, which returns you to your oh, right. the last one you, you sort of registered at. And I hadn't registered at one in ages, so he went back to the start of the game. <laughs> and everyone else is in the middle of a fight. <laughs> like, he, I was trying to click on some combat skill for him, and I accidentally clicked mm. on flea, and he's just gone now. He's back at the start of the game. And so everyone else managed to finish the fight by themselves. Um, but uh, Thane had to just spend... Uh, like 30 minutes crossing the whole world <laughs> yeah. to get back to them fight, fighting all his battles alone and- <laughs> I am Fane in my playthrough and um, I managed Fane sorry and I managed to get arrested um, mm. quite early in the game uh, not for being a skeleton but for not wearing my collar and ended up in prison and the rest of my party didn't end up in prison um but that meant a really kind of fun sort of solo adventure of like getting myself out of prison and then meeting up with the rest of the party almost like hey guys I figured out a way out I figured the way back in to prison <laughs> um, which is really cool I also had uh, like not really necessarily a bug but I think sometimes the pathing can be a little bit weird for your allies when they decide that they mm. really don't want to go somewhere they really really don't want to step in icky things mm. yeah they don't like it at all no um, so I had a fight where um, I got into a huge fight that was going to be a challenge and then just realized that Sabeel just wasn't there. Like she just wasn't like where the fuck. And that's quite appropriate to her character as well. But it was just that I'd left her on the other side of some acid, like half a mile away and she'd never bothered to catch up. 
And so I spent like the first half of the fight like micromanaging my lot. But also impressively enough, you can switch to Sabeel. And even though she's not locked into the turn-based system, yeah. she can just run across the world. Like, mm. so I gave her like a movement command to us, no, back to the turn-based <laughs> system. And then eventually she did just sort of run in and then join the initiative queue like really late. How well it all fits together is kind of nuts in that regard. Yeah. I think uh, one of my favorite things is definitely the combat. Like in the first Divinity, um, lethality was a huge part of that, and they've kept that over. Are they, I think they've managed to impressively balance uh, a very lethal, brutal feeling of combat with not making it too hard. Mm, it's not it's certainly not as hard as the first one, in my opinion. Like yeah. I, I thought the first one was quite punishing quite quickly. Mm. Um, yeah, they've turned back a lot of um, the environmental effects, like... Um, plastering the floor with fire and stuff like that in the first one that was an incredibly critical thing that you would use to dominate fights by sealing off um, avenues attack with like electrified water and stuff like that um, but now it's kind of a almost like a byproduct of uh, the big spells you're doing it's like maybe this turn you'll be covered in fire or maybe this turn you'll be electrocuted it's something you can think about but it's not such a, a critical issue um, but yeah they like everything feels dangerous, which is great. Nothing feels like, oh, this is the grind that you're doing to level up to go and deal with uh, the actual boss or whatever. And impressively, one of my absolute favorite things is that none of the bosses cheat. Mm. Uh, every boss, like when you get down to it, um, combat in Divinity 2 is mostly about efficient use of your disabling options. It's like the Dota thing of not stacking stuns and mm. stuff like that. Uh, you want to be careful that you're uh, like reducing the amount of enemies that can be afflicting you or damaging you at any one point by turning them to chickens or knocking them <laughs> down or whatever. And the bosses don't cheat. Once, like like any other character, once their magical or physical armor is gone, they can be affected by the same things. And they often have skills that shorten the duration or like give them a bit of armor back once they recover from those. But importantly, those are things that your own characters can have. Uh, so everything feels incredibly fair. It's got mm. that thing like if you, um, once you beat a scenario, it's because you did it well. You were a tactical genius and <laughs> you did this thing. And so you not... can, does that mean you can turn any boss into a chicken? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think maybe a couple of them have, um, like certain immunities to certain things, but then, uh, left equally vulnerable in other directions. Right. So. Do you have to, I can't remember, do you have to get through their magic armor before you can turn them into chicken? Yes. Mm. Or no, physical, sorry. I think it's, oh, is it physical? it's a polymorph <laughs> Chicken's spell. a physical top. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they were magic. <laughs> I've never seen a real one. Turning to stone is, is magic. Um, you were telling me about a, uh, an interesting use, uh, that the AI found of a spell, I mm. want to say it's called Bond of Pain or something. Shackles of Pain. Shackles I think. of Pain. They're, the AI is really good at figuring out the maximum way to do, or the way to do the maximum damage to your party at any one point. To the point where you'll see, I think you experienced this, where like a weird insect ran across half the level, ignoring your party entirely, but attacking an oil barrel. It was, I set him on a light and he immediately went to a barrel and attacked it to, right. uh, and it turned out to be full of water and that put him out. Yeah. But he was like a slug. <laughs> they, they will do that the other way around. It's like, oh, I'm currently on fire. If I run over and attack this oil drum, it'll burst and then I'll set everything on fire. Oh, right. And uh, there's a spell called Shackles of Pain, which links uh, the caster with the target. So every, uh, all the damage that the caster takes is transferred immediately to the target and that's... And the caster still takes it, right? It's yeah, just the caster still takes it. The... 
uh, and uh, an enemy did that to one of my um, uh, my mage, um, and I think I like spawned a load of fog or something, so he couldn't target me directly. And everyone else on the other team ran to their allied mage and hit him, knowing <laughs> that it would transfer all that to my mage, who then died. And it's like, oh, okay. Did they kill their own mage as well? Uh, no, it had more hit points. So, yeah. <laughs> Cunning tactical decision. Even so, though, I bet it was like, why did I cast that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nuts that that works the way it does. Mm. That, like, the AI is even... I don't know how they've done that. <laughs> yeah. It does have that kind of um, magic wonder, trick feel. Yeah, I wonder if it is some kind of, like, brute force thing where it just it tries every skill on every person and sees yeah. what the outcome was. Give me the biggest numbers, please. Mm. Yeah, that'd be that'd probably be the way to do it, right? Like, what's the outcome of all of this? You couldn't do it. You probably couldn't do it with like targeting the ground or anything, which I I think they do do at mm. times. Um, but just for like things that affect a specific person, you could probably run through all the combinations there yeah. without too much. I think importantly, they do mess up as well. They can make mistakes <laughs> and things, so it does balance out nicely. Um, they just kill their own mage for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They didn't know he cast shackles of pain. They were just <laughs> they didn't like him. <laughs> yeah, after. How many hours? The the only things that have really been annoying are small, like UI things, like bartering is rubbish. Hmm. You have to yeah. move everything you sell to a single person, which yeah. is a lot of clicking. It is also amazing that you can click the button almost any time. <laughs> so, like for the kind of um, you know, you've offended me for the last time. There's no more we can do. This must end. You or I will throw down immediately. Would you like to buy eggs? Yeah. I, I, I may be interested in selling you all of my healing potions. How do you feel about that? Yeah. yeah, a bit of a strategic error. You don't need the money right now. You want to buy my sword? Okay. And then kill me and take the money back. Um, I, but, at like very first experience of divinity was immediately uh, immediate extreme ludonarrative distance through the system where uh, you wake up kind of imprisoned and there's somebody sort of reading a book nearby who's obviously your, your captor um, and there's a table between you and them and I got up walked over the table picked up some alchemy flasks and uh, walked over to the, the person at the book and as soon as I, as soon as their opening line happened, I could see there was a barter button. So I clicked on that and then I sold them their own alchemy flask for one gold. <laughs> That's <laughs> your ice break. <laughs> it's like, I come around to your house. I to buy this fine flask. Yeah, I come around to your house and I pick up like a mug. It's obviously yours. I'm like, I'm going to buy this for me. Oh, it looks good. I like yeah, it. It's right. just to my taste, actually. <laughs> yeah. Great. How are you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think my only niggles with that are small UI things. Like I'd really actually in combat, I'd really like an undo button. Mm. I'd like to be able to map out a turn with a character. Yeah. Like, I'd like to map out how I'm going to spend all of my action points and then like commit it rather than, cause sometimes, and it, you have the option to not fuck up. You always have the option to not fuck up, <laughs> but like you kind of sometimes do a thing where you slightly like miss, like something is going to cost two action points to run to a certain place, but for whatever reason, slightly confusing tile the other direction is three or something mm. like that and then you get there and you can't do the thing you were going to do yeah like any situation yeah. where you can kind of like map that move out and then go yes this is definitely what i want to do click go and then you do it would be great I think. yeah it does it's not it's not great at giving you perfect information um a lot of the time you'll be like incredibly precisely positioning your damage radius of your spell to catch just the enemies and like leave your rogue just on the edge of it 
and then you commit and just everything explodes <laughs> and it catches, it damages everyone in your party and then sets off like a chain of other explosions and stuff, which is, I don't know, emergent, but still kind of a failure. It of is set in a universe where like any given fight ends with everyone, every single person soaked, <laughs> like on fire. Some, three people have been electrocuted and an extra person is poisoned. Like every fight ends that way, regardless of scale. Mm. I, I did find um, I got into some fights in quite fiddly environments and I had a lot of situations where like, oh, this guy just can't target the enemy now because one of my guys is vaguely between them and doesn't look like their line of sight is blocked, but this thing counts as a barrier or, um, and that was, uh, you know, annoying because it didn't look like um, it should be blocked and then also doubly annoying because now when I'm moving people around, like I really need to know if I move this person here, can I shoot that guy? Mm-hmm. Um, and that information is not available to me. Yeah, I think particularly line of sight for shooting is something that you want to be able to undo sometimes because I found that with a lot of mm-hmm. cases where you think, I'll run to this place, it'll be clear, and then it's not, and you've just used your three movement points. The way, um, I don't know if this is entirely work, but um, the way Into the Breach handles this is um, all, any move actions on your turn you can always undo for free as many times as you like until you do any kind of action. And then once you've done an action, um, all the, everything's kind of committed. So you can move all your guys around, see, line up all the actions, make sure it's all going to do what you think it's going to do. Um, and if it doesn't, you can just click undo, move as many times as you like and go all the way back to the start of the turn. But if anyone attacks anyone, then that's um, considered sort of committed. Mm. In this, I, I can imagine that being more complicated because your movement might take you on to some fire and you catching light could cause some other consequence and then mm. um into the breach i think the spirit of it is that they um that a movement is sort of non-consequential it's, it's lining yourself up to do something and by itself it doesn't have any effect um and that's not necessarily true in divinity i think mm. but in general that's a philosophy i really like it's just like make sure the sort of positioning part is just the player always gets what they expect with that. Yeah. I think, um, just finally, if you're going to play it, um, you have a huge range of choices of what, exactly what character, um, and there's some which have story baked into the world and they're generally worth doing more than, um, creating your own. Uh, but specifically, Fane is a really good character to play as, um, because his personal storyline is probably the most interesting. Uh, and also he's a cool skeleton who tears off. <laughs> I can second this. He's a cool skeleton. Mm. How much of their personal story do you not get if you're not playing as them? Uh, you can overhear <laughs> what they talk about, but not like their internal monologue or right. their own decisions or when they meet weird ghosts or gods <laughs> or whatever. You're not party to Are that. you meeting a weird ghost right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, I that's think... that's kind of an amazing thing, isn't it? That there must be two versions of everyone's storyline, right? There's mm. the version where you are playing as that person yeah. and the version where you're another character just hearing this. <laughs> was a minor frustration towards the very end of the game was that my companion's storyline was more interesting than my own. <laughs> and I really wanted to do his final end of game stuff, but um, the game was intent on doing uh, my character's stuff. Mm. I think Fane was one of the ones written by um, Chris Avalone. Huh. Right. Which is why it's slightly better. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. Mm. And I'm playing as Fane, so apparently I'm doing it right. <laughs> You've been playing Assassin's Creed Oranges. Yep. Tom. Um, the It's an awkward name to say, uh, the best of times, both 
Um, assassins is many syllables. Oranges doesn't rhyme with anything. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two ways we normally say things, right? Um, and yeah, many shortening versions of, I've been calling it Assassin's Oranges. And, uh, but actually I like Marsh came up with a better one, which is, uh, for actual short, which is just Asso. Asso. <laughs> mm. Uh, and yeah, so this is the one that said in Egypt, it is, uh, they took, I think it was a two year break, right? Since the last one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause, and sure. there was, they made a big deal of it at the time. Like it, this was becoming an annual series and now we've decided we need to step back from it and really rethink the series and, and, uh, make a significant leap forward. Um, and now, uh, we have Asso, which is set in Egypt. Uh, it's called Origins cause it's, uh, okay. So it's ancient Egypt. Um, so it's before all the other Assassin's Creeds. Um, and I guess at some point I'm probably going to form the Assassin's Creed. That hasn't happened yet, but <laughs> I'm guessing that's where it's headed. Um, uh, but it's set in the time of Cleopatra, which as we have noted on this podcast before is closer to today than it is to the time of the pyramids. Yeah. Uh, the time that the pyramids were built. So if there was one set when the pyramids were built, that would be even more origins, <laughs> pre-origins. Um, <laughs> And the, like, from looking at it before release, uh, the big thing that the change really was that it was very level based. It's much more of an RPG now and everything does a, dam- a certain amount of damage. And so there is no, even from stealth, uh, you're not technically insta killing enemies. You're just doing a very high amount of damage. And if they are sufficiently high level, that won't kill them. Um, and you get experience from everything. I can't remember how much of a level up system the previous ones had. I know they had like skill trees and stuff and you did earn ability points and things. Um, did they? didn't they <laughs> not the most what's i feel like black flag did no it didn't <laughs> okay i don't think so i've it's, been wrong before it's famous for what about things like sort of double takedowns didn't you have to unlock that mm. i'm sure you had some no like, that was that was gear gated that was like the point where you get two blades you can do that oh, it was I, i'm pretty oh, sure right. it has always been more like metroid style you have this piece of equipment now you can do a thing i don't want to speak for syndicate and unity because i didn't play them they may have had unlocks but as far i always associate that kind of like skill tree thing with either like shadow of war or far cry or something or shadow of mordor even Mm. i don't think assassin's creed has ever worked that way before well it sure does now (laughs) you've got a huge ass skill tree um huge asso skill tree yep (laughs) um and uh the world is actually split up into like leveled regions and it tells you on the map what levels they're suitable for. Mm. Um, which is all of which is a bit of a kind of, uh, gear shift for it and, uh, could cause concern. I was pretty open minded to it and I still kind of am. I played it for, actually, I don't know how long. <laughs> it feels like about eight hours. Um, and I really like it. I think it's really, really good. Um, but, a large part of that is to do with the world and the eagle, <laughs> um, and not directly the leveling stuff. Um, the world is like amazing. And I've, I've kind of known the worlds have always been amazing and I've, um, I have appreciated them to some extent and I, you know, ran across rooftops and thought this is a nice city and that's a cool building and, and in black flag sailed around islands and thought that's a pretty island and that's uh, cool. But now you can cyclically control an eagle, which is a trick I think they learned from Far Cry. Um, uh, Far Cry Primal lets you cyclically control an owl. Um, and, uh, but they've really gone to town on that. And so when you are cyclically controlling your eagle, 
you can just fly as far as you like and um basically uh it's the difference between like uh, using it as a sort of local vision mode, like moving the camera around a bit around your character. And really, you're just kind of becoming the player when you control the eagle now. Like, you can go as far as you like from, from your character. Your character will stop if you go far enough from them, but that doesn't stop you going further. And so I, I've flown around with it uh, just a bit, um, to kind of scout things out and tag people and stuff. But when I got to Alexandria, uh, the first really big city, um, I just, uh, uh controlled the eagle and then just flew through it uh it looks amazing anyway just as you arrive just the sheer scale of it is is incredible and it has these um main streets that just run all the way through the city completely unobstructed so you can just see from one end of it to the other there's no um obfuscation um and that just gives it a sense of scale that's that's incredible and then becoming an eagle and flying over it um was just breathtaking i was just absolutely staggered and part of me feels like a lot of this the majesty of this is has been there before like they've done amazing cities and stuff but this is a i think a a a few notches better in terms of just visual fidelity and and how impressive a place it is i think it's also maybe more uh foreign to me you know like um the last i played black flag but then before that the last one i played would be like assassin's creed 2 um and uh, this feels like further removed from a place you could go now. You know, mm. it, you can go to Egypt now, but it doesn't look anything like this. Um, and, uh, the, the scale of that city in particular is just like staggering. You just can't believe that they've made it all. Um, and being able to fly over it, I think is a huge part of that. Like, I don't think I would be that staggered by it if I was just climbing up, mm. not drain pipes, but <laughs> windowsills. You don't really have to synchronize anymore. Uh, you can do, um, but every time you enter a region, the whole region is kind of on your map and some things are filled in. When you do synchronize, it tells you it's filled in something on the region map. I don't know what. I can't tell any right. difference. Um, so yeah, you don't need to. And, uh, yeah, the, the eagle is like a map mode. There is also a map, but, um, you can use it just to kind of get your bearings and you can fly really fucking high and, uh, like I say, go as far as you like. And I was just flying through Alexandria and it like way off in the distance, I could see, two little triangles on the horizon <laughs> and that's Giza. That's where the pyramids are. And uh, I didn't actually do it right then and there because I kind of wanted to save it for myself, but I, I could have just flown there like all the way. Um, and you know, see that pyramid? You can fly to there as a psychic eagle. <laughs> I like the, your eagle just fucks off sometimes. Like <laughs> um, so my favorite thing to do is you can also autopilot your camel, <laughs> which is an important feature in any video game. <laughs> So it has mounts and when you're on a mount, you can sort of hold a button to have it follow the road. And then you can also hit another button to make it, you know, follow the road to your marker. Like if it's a quest, then it's giving you a marker for that. Otherwise you can set a custom marker to wherever you want to go and your, your camel or horse, I have a horse now, will figure out how to get there, which means you don't need to press anything, which means you can psychically control your eagle and do whatever you like <laughs> as the eagle and your guy will just get on with it. So, um, I do that and I turn off the HUD. Um, it's got, doesn't have like fully customizable HUD options, which is frustrating because there is a set of options I could set that would make this perfect. But instead, I have to go into those options every time and turn off all the HUD when I do this. But once the HUD is off and you're flying as an eagle and your guy is like way below you riding a horse across the dunes of um, of the desert and you are like hundreds of meters above um, soaring completely peacefully, you also don't have to press anything to fly, which is great. You just kind of soar automatically at roughly the same speed as you're um as a horse 
Um, not as a horse would fly. That would be significantly <laughs> well, faster. That, that is one amazing bug I've already seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that is just a, an absolutely like transcendent experience. I was kind of, um, properly moved by it in, in some sort of weird abstract way. Um, I think we've talked a bit before about like the sense of the sublime, mm. that kind of thing. Like there wasn't a, a particular strong emotion I was feeling that was like happiness or, or, or anything. It was just like incredibly powerful experience. Um, and I haven't had that before at all with Assassin's Creed. Um, and now that I've, that was kind of my first, um, amazing experience of the world. And now I'm sort of focusing on that now. Like I'm doing some quests and I'm, I'm, uh, doing some other stuff, but, um, uh, every time I need to make any journey of any length, I, I go into my no hard eagle mode and just <laughs> fly around and appreciate the world for like 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> um, and it's beautiful. And I've just recently, um, started to do, you start in a sort of like, uh, one thing it's really good at as well is, uh, gets you into the open world really fast. So, um, the, intro tutorial is almost too short <laughs> it's so quick at just getting you out into the world that i kind of can't remember the things that told me about the combat um and uh that's a huge change from like a lot of the assassin's creed games i've played where it just mm. feels like endless scripted bullshit at the start um and so you are out in the open world but you're in this the, obviously the lowest level region which is siwa and it's a, a smallish town um and you do a bunch of stuff there and then when you're ready uh, to move on instead of sort of just going to the neighboring regions the neighboring regions are actually really high level so instead you talk to your friend and he takes you across the other side of the world and you go to the next region up level wise but you're quite separated geographically um not entirely sure why they did that exactly uh maybe they w don't want you to wander off until you're ready um but anyway there was there are pyro scrolls lying around which are um riddles uh, which Black Flag has as well, uh, the treasure maps of like the uh, uncompleted sketch. Um, these are descriptions of places that have some kind of particularly good loot. Um, and there was one in the first area that says, uh, in Siwa, find, uh, the only bowl big enough for a god to drink from. And I'm at the bottom of that. And I was, there's, bodies of water there there's like lakes but there's two of them and one is bigger than the other but neither of them is entirely circular I thought, it's got to be a lake but i do you want me to just swim under all of that lake and just search the whole bottom of it i could it didn't seem likely so i didn't do it and then i moved on to the rest of the game and uh, i've had a couple more papyrus puzzles since then and i've solved them and they've been pretty easy and also fun i really like that yeah, i love this in zelda as well trying mm. to find the um uh where was this photo taken from um I love things that make you engage with the world and really look at it. And, mm. uh, in a, even though it is a game, it feels like a less gamey way. You're not sort of just directly interfacing with mechanics. You're actually studying the terrain. Um, and so I did two of them and then it was annoying me that there's this one on my record that's not done, but it's back in Siwa, which is not anywhere near where I am now. And I, once I discovered how much fun traveling is in this game, I decided I'm never going to fast travel ever. And I haven't. Um, so I will always, you know, uh, at the very least, autopilot my camel <laughs> and psychically control my owl. Um, uh, but then to get back to Siwa, that would be a huge trek across the whole of Egypt, basically through incredibly high level areas. Um, and so I wasn't really planning to do it. And then as it happened, I was just kind of, I was trying to get some leather for my next <laughs> upgrade. Um, and I was chasing some, I'm not entirely sure what they're called because you don't really get names for the creatures a lot of the time, but, um, 
they're like little deer um and i was murdering them in their dozens <laughs> to get to, in order to upgrade my range damage i think um uh, so it was a justifiable cause and uh you can like shoot them from horseback and i was doing that and i got uh sort of carried away and just ended up in the in a really cool looking kind of mountainous region with um uh dusty paths and um uh not sure what kind of trees but trees i associate with very hot countries mm. um and i uh, was happily killing these innocent creatures and then came across uh, a lion attacking one and thought oh maybe i'll take out the lion too because they have a different kind of pelt that i might need later and then i looked at the lion's health bar and my best stealth bow which does like bonus stealth damage uh headshotting him would not make any impact on his health bar whatsoever <laughs> he was effectively invincible and i realized i've wandered into a level 40 region <laughs> which is a strange thing because i fought lions before i've murdered lions in there uh, um in large numbers very very easily uh but this particular lion is a level 40 <laughs> <He protests>. lion. <laughs> um uh and anyway so i was thinking oh i'm in the wrong area but then i just thought well i can still hunt these deer and this is a really nice place so i just kept on galloping and then eventually i realized like oh i'm basically on the way to siwa now it's like a long way but i've i've already gone into high level region and you can survive in them it's not like um it's not like world of warcraft where you get attacked by everything and um uh they will hit you whether you want it or not and um uh you can't get away this is the the rare things that are hostile to you at all they take a while to kind of react to you. And so if you're galloping past, they uh, don't stand much chance. And so this is just before I came out tonight, actually. I had um, about 40 minutes before I needed to leave. And um, I just spent all of it traversing the world, trying to get back to Siwa um, and being terrified of everything I pass. Like any kind of predator, I'm just like, fucking hell, cannot touch it. Do not go near that thing. Um, I was on a mountain. Uh, the only thing I did along the way was to stop at the sort of synchronization points just to climb up and get a good view and just... Um, uh, get the lay of the land and did that. And, um, at one point while I was up there, saw a, must have been, um, I don't know, like a jaguar or a panther or something. Um, very sleek. And I was watching it hunt and it was just moving so goddamn fast. <laughs> I realized the only thing saving me so far is I can move faster than everything else. That thing can move faster than me and it would absolutely murder me. So I've got to stay, uh, incredibly far from that. And then, yeah, I was just galloping across this amazing mountain range and flying as the eagle looking at, looking around the territory. Uh, cause I had the HUD off, I couldn't, uh, easily set a waypoint for myself. So to navigate, I was flying ahead with the eagle, like a long, long way to, to scout out the territory and see if I could see Siwa in the distance. Um, and flying over like the crest of mountain ridges, see what's on the other side and going off to investigate little buildings and, um, uh, even like sneaking into a compound to steal some loot without knowing that I couldn't ever touch any of the guards because they're so wildly overleveled for me um in fact i found out what happens if you try and do i knew that you can't do stealth kills on people who are way higher the level than you but i was hanging off a windowsill and the guard was right in the window and I'm like this is the classic pull down <laughs> take how are they going to get out of this surely that's got to kill him or at the very least i drop him to the ground in which case i would be able to get in the room but instead you kind of like you grab him and then you just like knock his head against the windowsill <laughs> and then he just gets annoyed and runs off. <laughs> so I guess he's like too high level for me to pull through the window maybe. I was wondering if they were going to do the thing because in the old Assassin's Creed multiplayer modes there used to be a thing where if you like 
tried to like drop assassinate somebody they had like a narrow window of opportunity to like respond oh, right. and if they respond there was like a counter where you like grab their wrists and like wrestle huh. them out the way that would be quite a good way for them to handle like you've hit this person but not one shot them without it feeling weird yeah. like to have them just good enough that they will stop you before that you fully knife them yeah i've done assassinate uh normal assassinations on people who are too high level and it's uh, it's an awkward moment <laughs> you stab them and it's awkward for both kind of, of you honestly <laughs> <laughs> you stab them and then they they uh they're like dazed for a second but then they obviously get angry and you can't really do anything while that's happening um but yeah i made it back to see where just before i came out and um that journey was was uh incredible and watching just looking at the mountains i don't know what they've done but they've done something different to normal open world games because it there's a look of a world that's been made in a terrain editor <laughs> yeah i haven't used a terrain editor really but um i can reverse engineer in my head how they work because there's a certain look that all um open world games usually have and this just doesn't have that like the mountains are just completely they seem completely unique and i was just looking at like there's this mountain ridge that i'm on and uh, it slopes down into the desert there is this is not like teeming with life and stuff to do it is a desert like the desert bits are just desert um uh, they don't shy away from that and but just the slope from the mountain down into that was not just land that is curved it had streaks of it almost looked like mud from where i was but i knew the whole place was dry um and it was clearly where they had been a river like mm. many many years ago and now completely dry but you could see the streams of sediment that had caused these different streaks going all the way down and and they were following the right contours for the the lay of the land um and the mountains themselves are kind of like crinkly and jagged instead of like smooth and mm. um and eased out and um yeah it's just absolutely stunning scenery sounds like a lead artist got a trip to egypt <laughs> <laughs> yep um fucking huge as well that's the you know crossing all of that like i said it took me like 40 minutes and that is not the width of the world by any means there's you can go much further um and the game itself is all right <laughs> <laughs> the the quests have not been annoying so far they've been like they're not inspired or like uh you know very creative they're they're very straightforward but they haven't been really the really frustrating bullshit of yeah. assassin's creed you know um i actually kind of got the game because um uh in games radar's review they mentioned that uh it doesn't have uh follow quests anymore you never have to tail somebody at a certain distance mm -hmm. and if you get too close it's mission over and if you get too far it's mission over uh, which is my least favorite thing in assassin's, assassin's creed um and yeah most of the missions have just been uh, decent like that uh stealth is feels mostly like how it already works um the main good thing gameplay wise is that so you have this Far Cry style upgrade your arrow capacity and upgrade mm. your range damage and upgrade your uh, things by getting these crafting ingredients. And these crafting ingredients are usually animal skins. Um, the animal skins, you just hunt them like you do in Far Cry. But uh, for things like copper and iron and wood, um, you don't go and gather them. You have to uh, steal them from convoys. And those are just being transported around the world. Uh, on like war chariots or boats going across lakes and um or just like a a single guy on a horse um and in eagle mode if you don't have the hut off you see all of those things happening uh, around the whole world all the time like every single 
uh, courier that's carrying anything, you see that as a resource icon moving around the world. And every animal that has a skin that you might need, uh, you see that as a resource icon. And it kind of looks like Civ. Like if you look at Civ mm. 4 uh, in the early game, you can see where all the luxury resources are and all this mm. all like patches showing you what the, what the land's worth. Um, except they're all moving and they're all, you can mouse, you can, uh, sorry, not mouse over, but, uh, you can eagle over them <laughs> to uh, uh, select them. Uh, and when you like eagle over them, uh, it tells you what they're doing currently. So like every animal you can, it will tell you, oh, this one's foraging right now or it's hunting um, or it's sleeping. And every, um, uh, every resource that's being transported around is obviously being in the transported state. Um, but figuring out how to like get ahead of those and ambush them and take out the guy who's actually carrying the thing you need uh, is great. And um, like, Intercepting ambushes, sorry, ambushing convoys or intercepting convoys was my favorite thing in Far Cry 2. Um, mm. And you could kind of do it in Far Cry 4, but I don't think there was really much of a motive to do it. Um, and uh, you couldn't do it in Far Cry Primal because vehicles didn't exist. <laughs> uh, but here it's like a core part of the game. This is like after hunting animals, this is the most important resource gathering thing mm. that you do. Um, so intercepting convoys is just like a huge part of the game and that's a cool thing that's the thing i've enjoyed in open world games before and works well here and it is properly open world you know you can do it wherever you like um and yeah that, of if you're going to have a way of feeding a resource crafting system like this this is one of the best ones to do great has one of your sublime eagle experiences been interrupted by a terrible future animus <laughs> there, I've been back to the modern world twice and both times it's been pretty inoffensive the first time I just had to like literally get up interact with one thing go back to bed <laughs> and then the next time I had to get up and like I don't know move down a short cave and then go back and so so far it's been very straightforward and I hope it stays that way uh, but yeah they are there sadly <laughs> how about plot stuff um ah it's so it's pretty it's about bad men who control the world right um so fairly straightforward in that sense but a thing i really like about it is um you are basically kind of teaming up with your wife on this mm. and she is also an assassin and um uh kind of not dynamically uh but uh she does stuff uh that gets you closer to your goal of her own accord so um you just i don't want to sort of mention the specifics but you you have an idea of what you need to get done and you do like half of it and then when you meet your wife she's done the other half <laughs> and she's like oh great and that's the um that's the divinity connection i believe because i believe your wife is played by the same actress who plays sabeel in divinity oh really hmm. yeah both alex wilton reagan who is the only reason i know that is because she plays the inquisitor in dragon age inquisition so hmm. huh. following her on twitter and then both of those like roles apparently were kind of being revealed around the same time hmm. I don't want to worry about it too much because I haven't got far enough to know where it goes. But so far, it's been a really nice like relationship of equals, and it's like a mm. happy marriage, which doesn't come up that much in, yeah, it's in nice. video games. It's nice that that it starts at that point as well, rather than like have that be, you know, you won now get married. Yeah, which is the traditional arc, right? I'm sure she'll be kidnapped and <laughs> <laughs> or fridged. Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's cool that you're so impressed by it like uh, it, it was the big triple a game for this year that i was definitely planning that i wouldn't play mm. because there's so many things to do it's but. i can absolutely see people bouncing off it like the leveled stuff is kind of bullshit you know this thing of le a level 40 lion versus a level six lion yeah <laughs> it makes no sense at all and uh it does mean you can't 
you can go anywhere you like in the open world, but you can't sort of pick a new region and say, this is where I'm going to live for a while and do all the quests here because mm. you just, they are going to be way out of your league. Um, and the combat system, I don't really like. Uh, but then like out and out combat was never the thing that was good about Assassin's Creed. And as much as possible, you want to avoid it anyway. Um, yeah. So I like it. <laughs> Unbalanced. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> it is nice. Incredible world and quite good game. <laughs> Here we do questions. Sure thing, Tom. Good. Excellent. Awkward segue continues as Michael writes, Dear Tom Francis, do you now see every two word phrase as a heat signature character name? Rescuing my idiot son. Great crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I had this particularly when looking at a bar of chocolate that, uh, whose flavor was described as cherry intense. <laughs> yep. I, if that just came up in the game, I'd be like, yep, that makes sense. Um, I was very impressed recently with um, my friend Zach Johnson, who's been on the podcast before, uh, was going to Australia. And so naturally, he looked up the names of all towns in Australia and then made a name generator that just combines two, <laughs> two towns in Australia. And that works great as a name generator. Like if that was how he's generated his names, I think it would be every bit as good. <laughs> There's a streamer called Jupiter Hadley, who covers mostly um, game jams and stuff. So... They've made it into the real world now. Well. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like a heat signature name. It's just names. Yep. Well, yeah. Uh, like like names the quality of name, right? It's like a slightly yeah, usual noun name. Yeah, usually one of them is a noun that's not usually a name. Yeah. But like a cool noun. Mm. It's not like... <laughs> cool noun could also be a heat signature yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. It's not like... I don't know, like, bathrobe, John. I'm just looking at things I can see. <laughs> Yesterday I had on um, Lady Vision. <laughs> lady Vision. <laughs> like, what is Lady Was Vision? Was it uh, what a male see? or a female character? Uh, I don't know. Canonically, they don't have gender. <laughs> oh. Right. But they do have, uh, like, skin uh, sets. Hmm. Hmm. Well, they can now be male, female, or undead. Yes. And that they can actually end up having a gender because if they get captured and then someone else has to rescue them, the way they refer to that relationship can sometimes imply a gender. Mm. It can be like my right. wife or... Mm. Mm. Makes sense. Someone was upset that he rescued his girlfriend and they had a beard. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's his signature, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, my, my first one was mission was to rescue my dad who uh, had a female skin which was mm. cool mm. i was like oh yeah right. <laughs> we live in an acid nebula like the, <laughs> <laughs> you know we can we can all have moved forwards <laughs> yep to this point a next question comes from june who writes dear uh container two plus weapon dot melee 13 semicolon i would like to qu- ask a question but first i have a grudge against god <laughs> The UI in this world is the most obscure and purely designed, poorly designed UI I can imagine. There is no tangible data to tell me that after years of intensive schooling, I've gained plus one int. Nor is there a menu I can check to make sure that this scarf I wear gives me cold resistance. If you could fire God and redesign the life's UI, what would it look like and what information would you put on it? Thanks for the digital waveforms, June. I like the idea that after firing God, your first order of business would be, let's redesign the UI. <laughs> Indeed. We need better UX. Um, I gotta say, like, no UI isn't pretty good approach <laughs> i'm doing that in a lot of games yeah it looks real good it absolutely enhances my experience of possessing an eagle in real <laughs> life <laughs> maximal graphics i'd like better hit feedback 
If I shoot or stab someone, I want to know if they're dead or not, which uh, is thought, kind of an issue. I thought you meant like you're being shot. Do you want to know what direction you're being shot from? <laughs> Come mm. on, just tell me. Um, I would love uh, the thing that video games have where you can see what someone's disposition is. To I was going to say exactly this. Out of 100. <laughs> yeah. I want to know. I want. Th- I, I want. No, actually, I don't want that. What I want is, and I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but it's because it's the best and worst idea ever. I want Oblivion's <laughs> people reacting to what I'm about to say wheel. So that before, <laughs> change their expression. Exactly. Just thinking I want to like stare intensely at, I don't know, Tom and, and like half of the cursor over <laughs> anecdote, aside, change subject and just watch Tom smile or frown or kind of thing, <laughs> et cetera, in response to everything I say and then press the correct one. That's, that's what I want. I want that UI element. Actually, I, I think I would rather have that than know people's global disposition towards me, because that might be really depressing. It could be, <laughs> There yeah. could be an element of like, oh, my good friend, oh. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe there's some nasty secrets I don't want to find out. But in general, like the, th- the problem I want to solve is that there are some people who uh, don't emote very much, mm. and I assume they hate me. And it, <laughs> it turns out sometimes later, they didn't hate me, they just don't emote very much. That's true. But I think you can get around that with the how is this person going to feel about the thing I'm mm. about to say wheel. As, as long as the feedback is not facial expressions because those people won't do it. Well, what I mean is... <laughs> it just I, looks the same I, no I matter what I do. I, yeah, I imagine that that UI element kind of forces them <laughs> to smile <laughs> and emote regardless of what they might normally do. Like it's almost like an involuntary response. <laughs> mm. This is funnier to me because um, uh, as an example of somebody who... Uh, under emotes, um, I'm thinking of our friend Jim Rossignol, mm. who I often find hard to read. Um, yes. And the picture of him in like an Oblivion Star Persuasion <laughs> program where he suddenly has to <laughs> grin to like show, face. I'm going to like this joke. It's really funny. <laughs> it's good anyway. It'd be so charming. And yet it's such a huge <laughs> intrusion on someone's interiority um, as a UI might generally be, to be honest. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like... I'd go for any kind of like natural timer I could overlay on a thing. I know you can set timers, but the ability to just see time without <laughs> looking really just means being able to see a clock <laughs> all of the time. I wish I could see a clock. Yeah, that would be good. It's the, the problem watches were invented to solve. That's a really good point. <laughs> watches are just so like UI. Lame UI. <laughs> so are phones. Like that's all your phone is. Yeah. Like, like it's your, your mini map. Yep. It's diegetic though. <laughs> yeah i guess any life ui is diegetic or well, currently any life ui is diegetic i guess we're considering adding some to the exegetic mm. yeah any kind of scoring system uh for like headshots and stuff like it felt inappropriate at first but you get there eventually and i'm not I'm not talking in an explicitly violent way just like you know toss a screwed up paper ball across the room i would actually like if like for every task I successfully complete in my life, I get a combo multiplier. And it doesn't really mean anything. It just keeps going up. It's just yeah. like, oh, you did like five things in a row and none of them fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Like, um, I would just want the, um, whenever I do something that's genuinely productive, like putting a mug in the dishwasher, I just want like the, the battlefield like hit flare like the cursor hit <laughs> flare to appear like that'd get me stupid. i already do those things but it, i would I'd enjoy it <laughs> next up jeff writes dear creatures and creators 
Long ago, PC Gamer ran a back page saying, Tom Francis makes a computer game, reviewed in this issue by Dom Gansis. <laughs> this later came true. <laughs> sort <not> of. Sure. <laughs> what PC Gamer back page would each of you want to come true? I would genuinely like uh, Sam Roberts' era back page, which was Triangles, the magazine. Oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the Deus Ex. The Deus Ex, Adam Jensen style-based magazine. Yeah. <laughs> I would happily subscribe to, yeah, like... Adam Jensen picks a new coat for this season, or thoughts from our creator, Jonathan Jacques Palatet. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I need more golden triangles in my life. <laughs> Man, I've written so many of these and I don't know what, which one I would pick to be real. I'm suffering from, um, uh, memory blindness where the, like, it's not at all a good answer to this question. Um, this is not my answer to the question, but the only one I can remember is the Sims for pets cataclysm. No, <laughs> Where, <laughs> we're just applying after World of Warcraft cataclysm came out. We just applied the word cataclysm to everything Every we expansion. Think of, and yeah. then picked the funniest one and made it a back page. Um, I remember, I think in terms of like, if it's, if the, if it's not like, yes, if it's like the spirit of the thing comes true, I liked the one we did, which was like a town hall debate. For the citizens of Medici, which is the setting of Just Cause 3, I think, about the uh, merits of political change through a democratic process and <laughs> political change through the magic grapple man. <laughs> and, um, uh, and they went with, um, the political process, but then the magic grapple man stole the board <laughs> with his magic grapple. And actually the world has changed a lot since 2015 or whenever we wrote that joke. And I'd actually take the magic grapple man. Now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not a bad uh, system of government. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, maybe that or the, um, the half-life three valve elevator one. Oh, Cause yeah. people sent me death threats about that. <laughs> if it was real. Because it was a lie. So if it was a real, maybe those people would feel better about themselves. Uh, that was the one with um, Valve's missing 13th floor, which was where, because American buildings don't have a 13th floor, which is where Half-Life 3 development was taking place. But the lift also included, like, knife room and money hose control center. But and, people still thought it was real. Yeah, they really did. <laughs> they thought Sims 4 Pets Cataclysm was real. <laughs> don't make jokes, basically. Yep. Doesn't work. Um... Josh writes, Hello CNC, continuing the conversation on mechanics from last week's, why don't more games have my favourite mechanic, bullet time? I was recently finished Dishonored 2 and was surprised by how unsatisfying combat with Emily was compared to Corvo with Ben Time. In a game that seems to be primarily focused on experimentation rather than mechanical skill, what could have been cool moments were often frustrated by the need to select, aim and use abilities and weapons quickly. For comparison, the slow-mo slide and leap skills in Horizon Zero Dawn uh, were abilities that allowed you to actually feel skillful rather than just kill something in a different way. Do you agree? I certainly hope that at least Tom F does. Or is this a get good scenario? Thanks for the quality pods. Josh, and I like that your lowest bar for this being a successful <laughs> person is Tom agrees with you, and anything else is a bonus. I think they know their target audience, and they know that this is a, a hang-up of mine, and uh, I love to remove time pressure, and I am frustrated with immersive sims in general for not giving me more power over choosing my abilities quickly. Hmm. Like, I want to just... This is the the genesis of of uh, heat signatures left click right click system where just uh, the thing I wanted when playing immersive sims was just show me all of the things I can do. Let me assign one of them to left click, one of them to right click, and then that's how I play until I want to change that. And when I change that, I want to pause time completely and have as long as I like to figure it out. Um, 
And so I made that and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel this way about the game. I, I agree as well on the, the game that's, um, most made me feel like this recently was Wolfenstein actually, because it doesn't pause huh. or slow down time when you bring up the radial weapons menu. Oh yeah. Which really seems like a misstep to me because it actually is quite fiddly, right? Like, yeah, it's dual like, wielding. So you got a lot of like, individually I would, no, I picking which gun in that. each, which hand. Uh, what's exactly basically picking what goes on the left mouse button, and yep. the right mouse button <laughs> but it doesn't pause time in any way at all mm. and it's really tricky to get exactly what you want so you kind of tend to if you're in a fight you tend to muddle through what, with whatever happens to be in your hands at the time which is not like kind of ideal really mm. so it ended up being less of a problem for me because i use a silence pistol literally for everything <laughs> <laughs> can you do you can do a wheel silence pistols right uh, yeah you can but i didn't because then you can't like aim down the sights i found i found myself because i did want to stealth but i also didn't you know I, I i wasn't quick loading much so i I would basically just load if i died so i tended to sneak around because when you get the upgrade for the shotgun that allows it to fire all of its three rounds at once mm. so it becomes this like single shot almost like railgun short-ranged kind of you know man delete button um i would sneak around with a silenced pistol in, in my right hand and the world's biggest shotgun in my left hand like crouch walking around <laughs> which like, one do you want <laughs> exactly and then the moment the moment that it'll kind of pew pew went wrong then the then just fire the big gun and like try and switch to I two was, of them i replayed a fight like three times and the first time through i used uh, dual assault rifles that have been upgraded to be armor piercing and they're really mm. good at robots and there was flying robots in the scene and then there was also ground troops and the ground troops came up really close and I wasn't so good against them and the second time through I played it with like dual submachine guns and that was really good against the ground troops but it wasn't so good against the flying robots and I was like ah damn neither of these approaches quite work <laughs> oh wait this game allows me to cater to this exact thing by having a submachine gun in one hand and an assault rifle in the other hand and then I can just choose which one to use but you can't pause time when you do it. No. So therefore, you don't do it. <laughs> John, do you, are you bullet time yes or no? Just want to see how, how deep uh, Josh's combo goes in terms of everyone agreeing with him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Yes, for all things, including turn-based <laughs> somehow. <laughs> It just takes less of real time. I mean, I was actually saying earlier that in the turn-based divinity system, I want the ability to undo what I just did to make <laughs> a better decision, which is the sort of step beyond bullet time, which is yeah. like the rewind, basically. So it yeah. is odd that rewind doesn't exist in a better form than quick save, quick load in almost anything. Yeah, so I've been saying for ages that like, oh, and someone finally makes a stealth game that has rewind, that will be great. And then I actually seriously thought about maybe I should do it if <laughs> no one else has, and I found out someone did. It's called Shadwen. And I haven't played it, but apparently that's a stealth game with rewind. And so I've I've bought it now, and I'm going to play it and find out whether that's any good. Next up, Alex writes, "Dearest Crate and Crowbar, recently I found myself searching for the Dishonored One spoiler cast you all recorded when you were still uh, the PC Gamer podcast, only to discover that the episode link was dead. I'd avoided listening to it originally since I hadn't played the game yet, knowing that I'll never hear your spicy hot Dishonored takes." Fills me with sadness. Have you ever looked for some lost internet artifact of the past only to discover that it had been forever lost to time? Thanks for listening, everybody. Alex. Yeah, mostly mods for me. Like, um, there's a, not a huge movement, but at least a movement in archiving games now. Mm. Um, like making sure that we don't lose our, like, cultural history. And, for some games, modding was a huge component of that, and that's still very dependent on file hosting servers. And 
a lot of those have just disappeared. Mm. Um, particularly for me, Neverwinter Night, like Neverwinter Night Bolt, I think just kind of disappeared with a week's notice. So huh. a lot of stuff was lost. Wow. Um, and that was a really, really mod driven game. So, I mean, you have to draw the line somewhere. Obviously you can't store everything. Um, but it does seem a shame that like a lot of the Half-Life mods are gone. A lot of the Neverwinter Nights mods are gone. And they made up a huge um, percentage yeah. of that, their cultural impact. Can we still get the hidden somewhere? <laughs> I don't know, actually. That's awful. <laughs> I think it. I think it's still running. Yeah. Chris wouldn't let us down. <laughs> um, Sorry. I've lost, um, <laughs> I've lost blogs and things from years and years ago because I've had so many over the years that there's chunks of writing that I quite like to have, mm. even just to kind of have a little kind of through line of things I've written over the years. And some of it is just full on internet gone. Mm. Um, it's weird to think like uh, Steam Workshop is used for a lot of mods now. Um, and Steam seems in a pretty healthy position. I'm, I'm not scared of Steam going away anytime soon, but if Steam ever did go away, God, the stuff we'd lose. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, to be honest, the you know, we can zoom out a bit from that point. Like, a lot of the things we do are extremely ephemeral in terms of work, right? Like, there's a I, lot... Of- I'm quite glad to know that some stuff is never coming back. <laughs> At least two versions of my portfolio site are just gone forever, <laughs> and that's the best thing in the world, because it was awful. But, yeah. Mm. But you know what I mean? Like, just sort of facing down that sort of knowledge that a lot of digital stuff is going to stop being findable before even physical things. Like, if I was a stonemason or something, then the things I was making professionally would last a lot longer in some form or another. (laughs) Whereas, yeah, in terms of hours to hours thing will last in terms of any kind of creative thing. It is a short half-life. Yeah. And on that depressing note, <laughs> um, we have the next question, which comes from Nathan. And I'm kind of sad that I'm not reading this one out fresh rather than having talked about it when we took a break. Um, he writes, hello to assorted Toms and not Toms. I just learned that in XCOM 2, you can set waypoints for soldiers holding a key to set their specific movement path, avoiding fire, acid, aliens, etc. What? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for doing your best. Time to repeat a moment that genuinely did happen about 20 minutes ago. I couldn't not do it. <laughs> I'm still surprised by this. (laughs) Uh, Nathan continues, This has blown my tiny little mind. What other secret or poorly communicated feature in a game can you think of? Keep podding along, Nathan. Yeah, this has blown my mind. I didn't know this. (laughs) And I really wanted this feature specifically. I've been looking at their stupid fucking paths and like, no, don't go through the acid. And even earlier tonight when you're talking about like divinities, NPCs or your characters, um, like religiously avoid any kind of elemental pools i was like man i wish xcom did that and turns out you can make it do that <laughs> i didn't know this um i had a very similar thing recently with uh, opus magnum um which is the uh, zactronics uh, alchemy game and i had long wanted to a lot of like shortcuts just work in it so if you do control z in it it will undo what you last did and so I was very inclined to just try things that usually work in applications. Mm. And I wanted to copy and paste things. And so I was doing control C, control V, doesn't do it. Um, and I was really felt like that features should exist. It's very much like what it needs. 
And I assumed it didn't because that, that shortcut did not work. And then the latest patch said, oh, fix some bugs about when you duplicate a component. I'm like, you, when you what a what? <laughs> I can what a what? How do I do that? It doesn't say how to do that. And that's not, I'm sure it's not tutorialized anywhere in the game. I have not found any mention of that. Um, and I actually never found, I didn't look it up. Um, I just, when I next played it, I just tried everything. <laughs> just tried every combination of everything. And if you hold down control and drag a component, it duplicates it. How do you set a path in XCOM? Don't want to know. Control right click. What? Which is scary because right click is like committing your mm. move. And does it could kill you? But. And this is like within one move, right? So if you only had one move, you can still set waypoints. Yeah, yeah. So huh. your super agile um, melee guys can like sense bug. And all after, over the place. After you do the first control click, does it then change the r- movement range that it's showing you to sort of show where you can go from here? Yeah, gives you a little wow. like, number one waypoint, <laughs> number two waypoints. Man, wish it had told me that at any point. <laughs> well, specifically, it probably did tell you, but I wish games hadn't trained me out of not looking at things when it's telling <laughs> me stuff, like tooltips, yeah. which you'll never, ever look at. Yeah, it's tough. The next question comes from, I think, uh, Seamus or Simus. Apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I would definitely pronounce, uh, his introduction, which is creating crowbot in Lithuanian, which I'm just not going to try and say, <laughs> right? Uh, looking at it now and, uh, no one's going to benefit from me attempting this. So he continues. When board game industry entered its current renaissance in the second half of the 90s, one interesting thing happened. Board game designers' names began featuring on the front of the box alongside game titles. Do you think video games could benefit from having game designer names featured more prominently? I feel like a lot of games are indeed as authorial as books or films, and having name recognition could perhaps be beneficial. Thanks for all those pods, uh, Seamus. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. I think they're much less authorial than books, but... Uh, you know, I was going to say in, in uh, to as a counterpoint to that that um, uh, you know games have an enormous number of people working on them, AAA games anyway, um, and the person at the helm is not responsible for sort of ninety percent of what you play. Really, uh, even if they decided the whole shape of the thing, um, still, if it feels good, that's probably someone else's job entirely, um, mm. and. Uh, sometimes the writing is not them. It's, it's someone else entirely and, um, all kinds of things. But I guess, like, that's also true of films, right? You know, we do ascribe films to directors a lot and, yeah. um, they really, you know, they didn't write it for one thing in most cases, <laughs> which is crazy. I remember that being, like, genuinely confused about that when I was young. Like, um, you know, I'd see like, oh, this is a, uh, person X film and, then finding out that was the director and not the writer, we're like, why isn't it the writer's film? Didn't the writer decide what happens in the film? <laughs> I think, um, I think there's a case to be made. Like, I agree with you about AAA, but like, there's plenty of like indie developers who I would kind of know what to expect from their game from their name. Like, Brendan Chung is one of those people. Yeah. Mm. Um, like, John Blow is one of those people. Like, uh, you know, arguably Tom, you are one of those people, actually, <laughs> in terms of like the sensibility expressed through the game. And I think the issue with the fact that we don't do this more is that it encourages, like, so for people who follow game developers on Twitter and get involved with the culture of reviewing games and so on, you can know what it is. You, you can know, oh, this is the new Brendan Chung game that's coming out, or this is the new Derek Yu game that's coming out, or something like that. But there's no real easy way for people who just pick up a game and don't think too much about who makes it 
for people to draw those lines themselves. And I think maybe more people than you think would actually kind of get a benefit from having it say, I don't know, you know, Brendan Chung's flotilla and then seeing another game, Gravity Bone, and then seeing that on there and going, oh, I like that guy. <laughs> I will mm. play this as well. So this might be grossly unfair of me, but I see a big dividing line between um, people like Brendan Chung and David Pittman, who, as far as I know, uh, do everything on those games except the music. Um, and music is important, but I still kind of think if I liked their last game, I will like their next game, even if they fuck up the music. <laughs> like If the music's terrible, I can just turn it off. Whereas um, uh, for Gunpoint and Heat Signature, John is a huge part of those games. And... Yay. <laughs> um, <I'm> helping <laughs> and so you know uh when i make something without john like morph blade uh if you like gunpoint it's not that strong a predictor of you liking morph blade uh you know i'm the thing that those have in common john is not involved in morph blade and it's a really kind of i won't say ugly but it's a pretty crude looking game it's very different and uh but if you like Gunpoint, there's a strong chance you like Heat Signature, and that's me and John doing our thing. And mm. Yeah, maybe this is simply the argument for team names in that case. But what I, I mean, but you you don't do that either, right? You have to rely on them reading the first line of the blurb where it's like, from the makers of this other thing. I mean, I yeah. guess I guess maybe the, the Heat Signature launch trailer sells it a little stronger than most games because the first game you see in that trailer <laughs> is Gunpoint, not Heat Signature. <laughs> that's very intentional. <laughs> But nonetheless, you see what I'm saying? That like, I think there is, and, and, and even then I would argue though that like, there's a sense of, like a design sensibility is a useful thing to get across. Cause often what people, you know, they want a similar experience to a design that they resonate yeah, with. Yeah, so. that's, um, yeah. And that's probably also different just from sort of team to team. Um, mm. there are some things that you could probably, uh, assume the, like, at least if I'm in charge of a project, uh, you won't be like, you won't have to repeat the same section of the game again and again and yeah. again. <laughs> That's the thing I, I can probably promise The other example I would use for this is like, and because it came up very recently, is Zach Bath. Mm. Because that is someone where we would literally grab those games as like Zach likes and a, yeah. like, and they all look completely different to one another, but there is a common sensibility that I know what I'm getting if it's, there's a new Zach game yeah. out. Not, and that isn't to elevate design above art or any other discipline. And it's just that there's a sort of like, I trust this person to make this kind of experience for me. And it might look different, but it's, you know, these are the sensibilities that are apparent. I feel like he already does this to the extent that he needs to, which is his company is called Zactronics. That's true. And, um, uh, you know what you're getting from a Zactronics game. Uh, the fact that his name is in the, the name is, uh, I think fair since he is obviously personally the, uh, the reason these games have so much in common. But uh, if his if his company name was something totally different, and uh, that would still be good enough, I think to you, you know that when you're playing like introversion, you know, yeah, that's true. You know what you're getting when you play an introversion game. Uh, if you know introversion well, then you know that Crystal A is the sort of creative driving force behind all mm. those games. But it doesn't really matter if you don't know that. It's- it reminds me of a conversation I had in Italy with Massimo Guarini. I think I've mentioned before, who's the studio director of Oversonico. But that was an interesting chat. It's making its way into an Edge feature, which may or may not in the latest issue i don't know um but the thing he was saying that i think is what you kind of what you're saying is that developers particularly indie developers benefit from thinking a little bit more about their brand and not in a kind of like my brand kind of way <laughs> but in a don't roll the r <laughs> um but uh but in a kind of 
you know, what do people think of when they think of your studio name? Because his, his argument was that honestly, most developers don't really think about it. And like your, hmm. your, your brand arrives accidentally after two games. If you're lucky to have two successes in a row, congratulations. <laughs> you have a brand now and it's that thing that you done. And that can be stifling or it can be great. You know, it depends what the thing is and whether we want to keep doing it basically. Um, but. And obviously you can't force a brand either. You can't be like, we're the studio that does this. And then you have to kind of follow it up with something. But somewhere between those two things is a kind of more active, take, studios taking an active role in putting themselves out in front of their games as, you know, as a studio you can trust, as an entity with, with values, as a group with a name. All the different <laughs> synonyms for a brand <laughs> that I am fishing for. I think Mike Bithel, Mike Bithel makes the point regularly that um, he's not just marketing his current game, he's marketing himself because that's the next 10 games. Or yeah. Whatever, so. hmm. uh, but conversely, when you get into AAA and you have huge teams, I think there's a massive um, negative effect to ascribing it all to one person. Yeah. Like if Bioshock was marketed as Ken Levine's Bioshock, yeah. then that would be a thousand people just grumbling behind him and mm. doing less work than they might otherwise. But. Actually, I really wish, I don't know what the solution for this is, but I wish uh, it was more common for individual uh, people to get credit for their particular work within a game like that. You're like, Jordan Thomas is this rare exception where he's mm. one of the only people who was not the creative director of the the two games that I knew him from before Bioshock 2. Um, but I already knew his name and I already knew what he did. I already knew he did yeah. the Cradle and he did Fort Frolic. And those are two amazing standout levels from those games. And so we all knew he was a, a big deal. Um, but it's quite rare for people to get that kind of credit. If you're not the creative director, it's quite rare for you to get the credit for the thing you did. Even though on a game like Bioshock, as I understand it, like each chunk of that was done, was sort of headed up by a different person who had a lot of creative control over what it was. Mm. Yeah. You know, same could be true of someone like Chris Avalone, maybe like star writers on RPGs that travel between projects where, I mean, I guess that they do get advertised. You know, Chris Avalone has been a stretch goal. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, so Metal Gear Solid does this thing where like, at the start of every mission, you get like mini credits. Yeah, that's true. Do. Like, I'd like to see that more. I mean, it's like, it's such a, Kojima thing. Yeah. <laughs> Kojima gives himself a lot of credit. Um, but if Bioshock did that, I would be really on board with it. And if it just told you who this chapter is made by, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does feel like something that only Phantom Pain can get away with because, <laughs> yeah, because Kojima thinks, yep. but yeah. Our next uh, email comes from Jens who writes, Dear Crows and Crows, Crows, Crows. I absolutely adore the simple yet unusual control scheme of Crypt of the Necrodancer to the point of having bought a dance pad for it. As I feel myself, as I feel myself approaching my personal skill ceiling and its core loop is turning repetitive, I wonder what I'll turn to next, especially since my computer-based work and frail wrists mean I'm looking for games using neither a mouse keyboard or gamepad. Can you people recommend any other not strictly dance games similarly designed to be playable on dance pads or other unconventional controllers? Alternatively, can you think of any two to eight button games that would lend themselves to being played on a dance pad, even if they weren't specifically designed for it? Thanks for the ever wonderful pod, Jens. I thought of Downwell, hmm. uh, yeah. which is quite simple. Is that I mean, literally... I've not played it myself, but I think it's literally three controls. Or... I have played that, and I was going to ask you how it controls. <laughs> <laughs> um, you definitely have left and right, and you definitely have some kind of jump. And I think jump is also shoot. 
I think so. I think it's just three buttons. Because mm. um, like the main way you play is that when you jump, you also shoot downwards. Like your your boots sort of fire downwards, and that also propels you upwards. Um, so I think that's just three keys. I remember getting power ups to do different things. Like I don't recall for sure if they required extra keys. I think is Helldivers on PC. I don't know. No, no. I want to say no. That would be a fun one because to summon things from some drops from orbit, you have to punch in button combinations. <laughs> and if you like had to hot step it, that would be quite fun. Uh, that is by the developers of something else, right? Do you Probably. remember what? Most things are, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's uh, not like it, that's an alien swarm like game, right? It is, but yes. It's, it's not and by it's the, by the is it a Paradox Studio? No? That, yes. That sounds possible. It does sound possible, doesn't it? <laughs> the thing I said. Wow. I don't know. In the slightest. If only we can tie this into uh Normandy Beach loot drops. I should remember um <laughs> Just Cause uh its hacking mini game was like a quick time event, but it was a bit better than quick time events because it didn't uh you could see all of the instructions you had to do all at once. So as fast as you could do them, you could do them. Mm. And they were up, down, left, right kind of things. And so if that was a dance band, like, to hack this, you must dance this furiously. <laughs> it feels like quite a Rico thing to do though. Rico, sorry. Yes, it would. Hmm. So no, I, I'm trying to think of games that have similarly like, because you need something that doesn't have like a directional element necessarily. I mean, actually, it's not a PC game, but um, Reigns, the mobile game that's like, you manage a kingdom, but with the Tinder interface, where you swipe yeah. like left or swipe right. That's already kind of an interface joke, but uh, if you're playing it on a dance mat, even funnier. <laughs> this is jumping to the left, jumping to the yeah. right. Like do dance mat want, Tinder. Do you want the church to have more power or the ministry? Dance mat Tinder is just going to a club. <laughs> well, it's going to a club. Which way is which way is which on Tinder? I don't know. Is right good or is left good? Right is good. Right is good. That yeah. sounds okay. Correct. It'd be like going to a club where everyone you find attractive is always to the right of you. <laughs> Which means you circle each other if you yeah, like each other. Exactly. <laughs> like an ice rink. But if you don't like each other, you'd always bump into each other. Shit. That's how that actually works. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, good, I think. Next, Anthony writes, Dear Chicken and Cackleberry, uh, last week's pods are another reference to the notion of a chicken and egg problem and the deployment of the commonly used abbrevi- abbreviation of such an issue, a chegg, if you will. Uh, next time this arises, you could also mention the common term for the successful resolution of a chegg. This is, of course, a chegg win. <laughs> very best, Anthony. It's very good. I like it. <laughs> Chris does not like it. <laughs> I- I'm, I'm happy and sad at the same time. <laughs> I was just, uh, I think I liked it because, like, I didn't know where this email was going. <laughs> it really sounded like I had a serious point to make, and then it ended in a dumb pun. <laughs> As most things should. Um, finally, we round off with a seasonal uh, email from a person on the internet who writes, Dear Crate Croat Society, it's that year time of year again, so here's two new riffs on the Guy Fawkes rhyme. And these two are... Remember, remember, the fallen squad member promoted to death as a flamethrower's shot. <laughs> Claudius goes stirs, adorning posters. Oof. Thomas' mistake won't soon be forgot. 
and for attempting to rhyme stirs with posters, <laughs> you get one point. <laughs> one seasonal point. The other one is, remember, remember, the Bundvajeg Bender. <laughs> Context of the chicken and egg. Bundling vapality for virtual reality. No drops of rum left in the keg, which is That's which great. Is good. That's good. And you get three points for that one. What these points are worth and what they scale against a mystery. You'll need life's UI for that. <laughs> As for questions, if you built an Opus Magnum-style contraption in your own home, what would you design it to create? Thanks again for all the brilliant pods. Cheers, a person on the internet. My first thought was coffee. My thought was coffee as well. <laughs> so um, I actually like the process of making coffee. So a lot of this is like things I want mm. a lot of, but I enjoy making myself. But there's some element. So... I would ultimately, yeah, I would go for coffee, partly because I hate cleaning out a cafeteria. It's a thing I don't enjoy doing. It's So the stuff you can do in, in uh, Opus Magnum is very um, fantastical. It's like, oh, if you could change things at their atomical level, then uh, you could do this. Uh, and it's also wrong. <laughs> you can't change these things in, this, in these ways. Um, so... Changing used coffee to fresh coffee would be a total, Ooh, totally yeah. thing you could do. In That's what microwaves do. I go for. That's an interesting one. Uh, like, I guess stale food to fresh food. I totally like that machine. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I, I totally go for a machine. I don't know how your your inputs are very defined, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I want, I want the thing that makes sense of whatever is in the fridge right now. <laughs> I want the machine that says, like, these are the things you have, and they, the output is this meal. <laughs> yeah. But it has to be more dynamic than like a fixed set of inputs, right? It doesn't really work. Yeah. Hmm. I would get the machine that takes bills and just outputs the useful information I need to know from each of them. <laughs> like takes unopened post and outputs a list of things I need to do. That <laughs> yeah, be that'd be good. I want to, you could make something that like takes any drink and makes it alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> it's called gin. Oh yeah. <laughs> we have some right now. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose cocktails would be the thing we'd kind of generate the most with this. Yeah, I wonder if you could like use it to merge the taste of one food with the nutritional value of another food. Because <laughs> mm. I've sure got some ideas there. <laughs> yeah, that'd be like if Hagen Dazs salted caramel ice cream could be good for me in some way, <laughs> that would be very valuable. Yeah, if that had the nutritional value of like two boiled eggs on their own for breakfast. <laughs> or like a really like mixed varied salad. <laughs> mm, yeah, like that's superfood now. Yeah. Mm, that's a good idea. That's a good question. Even just a machine that just turned ice cream into ice cream that's at the right temperature. <laughs> yeah, like, should we just break it down <laughs> again? A, a microwave, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a microwave. <laughs> a lot of these things are just a microwave. That's all Opus Magnum is. <laughs> what happens inside a microwave? If you microwave lead enough, it turns into gold. Don't microwave lead. <laughs> don't microwave lead. John, do you have any particular alchemy, home-based alchemy, alchemy at know. home? About five minutes ago, I got stuck on cat hair into old fashions. Because <laughs> I've got an infinite say, supply of cat hair. 
That's yeah. I mean, that's. Do you have a cat, or is this mysterious? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a suspicious source of cat. <laughs> it's produced by one cat and is limitless. Hmm. <laughs> Does the cat drink a lot of old fashions? Because <laughs> you could have a circle of life thing going on here. I'd definitely take the box that turned, take the machine that turned takeout boxes into more takeout. <laughs> <laughs> With the new takeout also be in a box. Yeah, exactly. That seems like getting matter from nothing though. Cause oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> what we're talking no, about hang on. is no, this is perfect. No, I've, I've solved this. Okay. Right? It turns half of the container <laughs> half of the container into a smaller box. So every takeout meal you get is... And this is actually brilliant. And for reasons I can't Every takeout meal you get... Every good inventor gets, prefaces... Gets increasingly invention. small until it's infinitesimally small and then it vanishes. Or it's like just a tiny little edible kind of... Like, you get the plastic as well, but fuck it. So that, <laughs> at that point, honestly, who cares? Um, and the reason this would be amazing is... When you finish takeout, you often want a bit more takeout, but not like all of the takeout again. And and you keep having that experience until you got down to like a kind of quantum of curry, right? A quantum of takeout. Which is the um actually like one of the better recent James Bond films in my opinion. And um And also you would then not have the issue of like waiting around till recycling day to get rid of the boxes because yep. you'd end up with recursive Good. diminishing takeout returns for the subsequent week good for recycling did you ever hear the adam buxton song about quantum solace yes okay the the should i recite it anyway for our yes. listeners uh he wants a quantum of solace but no more than a quantum he knows they do big bags of solace but he don't want to <laughs> it's very good <laughs> not the film that poem yeah good uh <laughs> That is all of the emails we have time for. If you'd like to email us for a future episode, you can do so by emailing. The clues in the name. Questions at creightoncrowbar.com. I said that weird for no given reason. <laughs> if you'd like to hang out with the community, you can do so on Discord. You'll find the Discord details on our website, creightoncrowbar.com. You can also watch the podcast on YouTube. I say watch. You can kind of listen to it on YouTube while seeing a yeah. picture. It's not the same as watching, but you can watch it if you like. The picture's not going to change. Why are you doing that? If you're doing it now as you listen to this, you've just wasted like two hours of your life. Anyway, uh, if you could also subscribe to our YouTube channel if you'd like to update on our videos about various different things, uh, including our Bloodborne series, which will be returning soon, and Miniature Monthly and the rest of it, you can do so. Podcast is supported by our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash create and crowbar. Your support for these episodes allows us to do our side projects, including, as I said, Miniature Monthly, Bloodborne, and most recently, uh, Little Grey Cells, which is our Poirot Watch Along podcast, uh, which will be returning very soon. Appreciate that this week's episode is a little bit later than has previously been the case, but we are getting to it imminently. If you would like to follow, nope, nope. the thing I inserted in between those Patreon. two things, nope. <laughs> Oh boy, you better believe it's iTunes reviews. <laughs> that's helpful. That's the thing that's useful if you do that. If you leave a little rating, if you make a little love. Uh, everyone gets down tonight. <laughs> if you'd like to follow us as individuals on Twitter for some reason, uh, I'm on Twitter at C Thurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Uh, John. J-O-H-N underscore A-double-R. Lovely. Tom. P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. And that's it. Thanks, Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.